This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Ahmed Alwadi, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling. And hey, if you'd like to get access to over 120 something bonus episodes, reviewing all the pay-per-views from AEW and WWE going all the way back to 2016, as well as Joe and I's favorite series, Pay-Per-View Classic, a Total Divas rewatched and review series called Totally Divas, The The Big Show Show, YouTube Wrestler Review, and a whole lot more. You can support the show for as little as $5 a month and get access to all of that bonus content. It helps keep this show ad-free and 100% fan and listener supported and helps us bring you fabulous episodes like today's, one we've been looking forward to doing for many, many years. It's time, finally, to learn about the man from Winnipeg. It's time for How To Kenny Omega. How to Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And today we're traveling the world over to talk about the cleaner, the best bout machine, and a man who has a very, very viable claim to be the best wrestler on the planet today. Today is How to Kenny Omega. Hope once again it's me, your old pal, Captain Kevin. Join us, I'm always in this inquisitive look at the world of wrestling by my better half, Joe Graham. Hello. Are you excited today, Joe? It's a big old episode indeed. It's a huge episode. And yeah, I am. I'm really excited. That's good because you're excited and I'm nervous. And you used to give me the great advice before we've done live shows, which is if you're nervous, just say you're excited. Yeah, and you just can, gaslight yourself. Yeah, you can kayfabe your brain and yeah. then you'll be absolutely fine. Work yourself into a shoot. Exactly. So here we are working ourselves or myself into a shoot at the very least. Yeah, I am nervous about this episode, I will say. Because, like, look, the whole basis of this podcast is, you know, I mean, initially start started off as me teaching you stuff about wrestling. I think it has become more of a you and I on a journey together learning about wrestling. Mm. And I will always earmark the areas that I'm less confident or have less background in. If you've been listening for any length of time, I think everyone knows, I, I didn't grow up watching Kenny Omega or Japanese <laughs> wrestling. Yeah. Being an old man and also, you know, watching WWF in the late 90s as I did growing up. Yeah. With not great internet connections. So, like, seeing the absolute outpouring of love. And look, we've had wrestlers on here before where we're like, hey, send us in the tweets. And you get, you get heartfelt stuff and, like, nothing compared to the Kenny Omega essays of yeah. love that we have received mm-hmm. i am intimidated by the effect this man has had on our audience yeah. he is possibly the most special person in wrestling for i don't say a majority but a large amount of the people who listen to this podcast yeah and i want to treat it with respect as i am going on this journey with you to learn more about kenny omega Yay! I think it's it's fine to be a bit nervous. He is an intimidating sort. He was someone who you, you and I probably first got to grips with or saw regularly once AEW All Elite Wrestling started in 2019. We always had heard of him. Mm. I think he had appeared in a previous episode. Do you know which one it was? It's the Young Bucks, wasn't it? 
Uh, he appeared briefly in the Young Bucks episode, but I was thinking about the How To Long Matches episode. Oh, that one. This is your first intro to the world of star ratings and yeah. uh, what that all means or doesn't mean or lack thereof. I actually feel I first came across Kenny Omega before we started the podcast. Are you going to tell me about Tumblr Kenny Omega times? Is that it? I don't think it was even Tumblr that I came across him on. It was when I first started talking about how I was a new fan and wanted to watch wrestling and stuff. And may have been around the time we just started this podcast. I'm not sure. But there were a lot of people who were like, oh, if you like this or that, you should try this other thing. And I remember lots of people sending me like silly matches because that was obviously what I liked and flip-de-doos as well. So when you say this other thing... Comedy wrestling. And a lot of this was involving our man Kenny. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I was often sent matches of his that were like the more infamous ones. The ones that Jim Cornette famously hates. Like him wrestling an inflatable doll. (laughs) Him wrestling a nine-year-old girl. That's a lot of people's Hell in the Cell 98. Let me tell you right there. It's mine. (laughs) So how would you describe him in the first instance for someone who's maybe not familiar with Kenny like at all. But maybe has heard the name. Because I would say... He's one of these fellows that if you're watching wrestling even casually in Mm. 2023, that name has come up a million jillion times. Yeah. I feel it's really hard to describe Kenny Omega. Like physically, he is an incredible specimen. He looks like one of the Von Eriks. Oh, okay. What? I mean, big old old torso on him. Like huge muscles. (laughs) He's absolutely like buff guy. And he's got this thick head of curly hair, which he sometimes dyes like funny colours. He's a he's a hunk for sure. He's a handsome fellow. Shiny folk. I don't know if I call him shiny. I mean, sparkly definitely. Yeah, okay, that's it. Yeah. But shiny for me is more of an Eric Bischoff kind of All sleazy, right, gotcha. it's a sleazy quality if you're shiny. Yeah. Okay. But he is a sparkly fellow. Sparkly fellow. In terms of his wrestling style, again, it's really hard to define because he's done so many different styles. But I think the main his main thing that he's known for is like this incredible work rate mm. with very big flips and shit. Yeah. So when you say like work rate, what you mean is in terms Lots of, of moves. how much the stuff that he's doing. I think as well, definitely a very unique thing about him that most people would pick up on immediately is the way he moves. Mm. You know, he is someone who like even simply going from one end of the wrestling ring to the other he will like you could you could put that animation on a blank dummy mm. and you go that's Kenny Omega right there not many wrestlers you could say that about like you know okay if they're doing their signature moves or whatever it is but yeah. literally walking pointing going to the top rope i feel like i can envision that as a Kenny Omega animation, if you know what I mean. We've always said on this podcast that Kenny Omega moves kind of like a video game character. And that is not, that's not incidental, let's just say. No, I think that's intentional. But yeah, just the way he moves, it's like a full, I forget what they're called in, in game development, where you have like an animation cycle. Yeah. Like when you pick up a piece of paper in a video game, there's this whole, it's over the top, it's deliberate. So you can see all the work that's been put into animating this thing. And, like, every move he does is like that. It's so intentional. And I think, you know, the, the video game part of it, I think if you're describing Kenny Omega for folks who've never seen him before or have just heard the name, I think that is, in this day and age, one of the most important things about him is that never before have we talked about a wrestler on this podcast who has video games, pop culture, Japanese culture, you know, animation, everything from fighting games to horror games, all that, like for lack of a better term, cool nerd shit that has been distilled down 
and seamlessly woven into the, every aspect of his character. Because mm. we've had guys before where like, oh, cool, you know, hey, Seth Rollins came out and he dressed up as that guy from that thing you like. Yeah. That's cool. But Kenny Omega did that and had the music made by the guy who actually made the thing originally and also has a special outfit made that costs more than the money he's probably going to make from the match. And also every <laughs> move he's doing in there, they're oblique and direct references to every fucking game you could possibly think of. Like, I consider myself a bit of a nerd, mm. to put it mildly. And even I find myself overwhelmed at the sheer referentiality yeah. of Kenny. I mean, you're not as big a, like, a fighting game person as me. No. So I'm wondering, like, what impact, if any, has that had on you of watching him? Like, the fact that he is so heavily influenced by the likes of Street Fighter, Tekken, Final Fantasy, etc. I mean, I've played Tekken, yeah. but I haven't played any of the other games that he's like heavily referenced by. Street Fighter, I know, is the main one that he takes a lot from. Yeah. I think the Hadouken is from there. It sure is. But I think of that as being a Dragon Ball Z thing, which I've also never seen, so I, I don't fucking know. And the people listening just go, like, there's like three podcasts there from that last sentence I alone. Like. No, stop. <laughs> But yeah, I feel, you know, he's a he's a white Gen X man. So of course he's going to be into, you know, it's you know, if you're a Gen X man, you you pick at birth your interest. It's either Back to the Future and <laughs> 80s movies or it's fighting games at the arcade and he was a fighting games at the arcade type kid. Now, is that something that, you know, cuz is it exclusionary? And I'm not exclusionary. I'm, well, like I, I personally don't think it is. And he, we're going to talk about someone today who has got a lot of bad faith criticism about him. Yeah. But I was just wondering this because, you know, I often think when, you know, our podcasts and, you know, that, that we do and, and other podcasts that I do, I never think twice to, like, make a reference to something that is going to make my friend or my co-host or my wife or whatever it is laugh. And I feel like he similarly is has no inhibitions about, like, hey... This move that I'm doing here, this is actually something that King does in Tekken Tag Tournament. And mm. it's specifically this style of how I'm doing the suplexes in reference to that particular... Like, if you don't get those references, and yeah. you've admitted you, you don't get a lot of those references, mm. does that make it, I don't know, less enjoyable or less kind of accessible or anything? I don't think it makes it less enjoyable. I think if you have played those games it makes his matches more enjoyable right like, yeah there's a baseline of of fun in his matches if you happen to have seen what he's referencing i'm sure you get extra levels of enjoyment out of it yeah but i don't watch his map because i don't even know he's referencing stuff half the time it's not like i'm there like oh that move is probably from a video game that i haven't played so zero stars for this match <laughs> yeah I, I think some folks in the wrestling fandom don't like to feel even remotely left out. And if something has been done, it's not like, yeah, you know, I'll make a silly joke and I'll get like, you know, three messages from someone being like, why, what is this? Tell me what it is. Why, <laughs> why is it? And I get that. Cause you want to know all the bits. Yeah. And I, I do have a natural curiosity, but like, mm. I think I, I, I would think if you tried to keep up with every single reference that he makes, it might make your head spin. Yeah. But I do think one of the reasons why he is someone who is so beloved by, by a lot of our fans is because they're seeing their culture, the things that they care about, lovingly referenced, you know, in a, in the medium of a kick-ass wrestling match. I think it's really cool because, you know, I've I spent a lot of time researching for this episode, thinking about how much I wish he'd play other games than, like, <laughs> fighting games. And then we found out that the Golden Lovers have got a Mother 3 reference yeah. in their arsenal. We're like, well, maybe yeah. they're pretty cool after all. But the thing is, you can't take... Like, you, there's nothing from Stardew Valley you could turn into a wrestling move, is there? Mm. 
Not easily. Mm. But something like Street Fighter. My God, that's the dance of the moonlit jellies. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> something like Street Fighter is perfect for wrestling because it's about fighting. Yeah. So yeah, I don't I don't blame him at all for being more influenced by like fighting games whatsoever. I thought it was interesting that because he, he did a let's play with Xavier Woods on, I think it was Up, Up, Down, Down or something like that where they played Street Fighter. And apparently Kenny Omega is like a legit, oh, yeah. like, excellent Street Fighter oh, player. He, at a pro level, he yeah. absolutely is. But what I thought was funny was that in their match, I mean, he absolutely thwomped Xavier, but he was working. Wow. Was it like giving a little, little, bit, of, little bit of a show yeah. for the people? Like? I didn't know it because I've, I've never played Street Fighter. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. But people who have watched it, if you go into the comments, they're all like, oh my God, he's... He's working him. He's not putting everything into it. He's yeah, working a match. He wants to have a little rope-a-dope. He's having the know? ebb and flow. He's literally playing Fantastic. Street Fighter the way I play like the 2K wrestling games. Because yeah, we have a lot of fun when we do that in the wrestling games. We, we don't just play to win. Sometimes no, we do. No, sometimes, but not But there's always. a lot of times where it's like, okay, I want to play like a silly Billy. Yeah, or, I'm going like, to be a heel. Do or... my taunts and yeah. like, get you to come from behind and attack me. I think that's absolutely fantastic that he has, you know, obvious these inspirations and this pedigree of, you know, a long, long history of video games that has been put into his wrestling style. Mm. And I love that it's going back the other direction as well there, yeah. you know. I think it's like really interesting that, like, I don't know, because I, I remember, like, seeing, like, a, a tag team called the Super Smash Brothers back, mm. you know, way back in the day. Like, I'm talking, you know, when you'd see clips of wrestling on Ebound's world. Oh, wow. And that, that's actually would go on to become the, the founding members of the Dark Order, Ibaluno right. and Stu Grayson. I remember me and my mates, we would be obsessed with it because it's like, look, he's literally doing the move from Smash Melee. Like, yeah. you know, and that was, like, a very overt, like, here, this is the video game character doing the video game stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you like that, you're going to fucking pop like crazy. But if you didn't have any of the experience of those games, it might be slightly off-putting. Nah, I don't think it is. Because if you don't have experience of those games, you won't even realise it's happening. Yeah, true. <laughs> it's like if you can't see the colour blue, it's not like you're like, Oh, God damn that sky. <laughs> you just don't even know it's a thing, right? So that leads to my other point, which is like, I don't blame him for including all these like video game references in his matches. Because really, if you are, and I, I say this as a gamer, I fucking love video games. Video games are probably my number one hobby and have been for my entire life. Samesies. I am a proper hardcore gamer <laughs> not like competitively i love how serious you said that i think people don't necessarily realize because it's not something i talk about all the time you love you love to play video games i game. love video games and that's that's one of the reasons why i love you as well because i also love video yeah. games and i will give any type of video game a go i don't necessarily love them all but i will try anything once so i've played like all the different types of video games out there and as a gamer there's not many instances you get video games as a genre referenced in other media yeah because like, if, if you think of tv shows doing it it's yeah. kind of a little or like little bit lame sometimes yeah. maybe or, or books ready player one with the movie adaptation of the book like it's just always cringe or very overt because like the, this is the video game yeah. episode this is the episode that has video game references in it of, of your show or whatever that's it, because in references of video games they're normally referencing kind of tropes mm. whereas the cool thing about video games is the gameplay you yeah. can't reference gameplay in a different medium that's what makes video games unique it's the gameplay mechanics itself 
wrestling is so unique because unlike TV or movies or books or music or anything else, you can actually be directly referenced by the gameplay mechanic itself of how you perform certain moves in certain orders. There's a beautiful kind of cycle of it because, yeah. you know, this is a guy who we, we I've watched, I'd say, 100 hours, I feel like, of, of interviews with him from over the years. And, you know, he, he will talk about the video game influence very readily. It's like, it is a huge part of it. And to the point, like, where I, I felt very, I don't know, very, like, kind of seen or anything like that. Because he's talking about going through selecting every move for your creative character on the N64, whatever it is. And then, like, previewing C-Left. want to preview all the moves, see what it looks like at all the different angles of it. And, like, taking that on board. Then it's, like, research for it him. It is, because... When you talk about, you know, oh, every movement that he had is like, it's very deliberate and, you know, mm-hmm. you're talking frame by frame. A big part of that in fighting games is because knowing when you're meant to counter or when yeah. you're meant to load up your next move or get one step ahead. Kenny Omega is one of the few wrestlers who actually has tells because of his maneuvers are so influenced by video games. Mm-hmm. He will have like the kind of, I'm going to go against the ropes. So this guy isn't just going to run against the ropes. And hey, it's welcome to How To Wrestling, the podcast where we talk about men running the ropes and being really <laughs> impressed by it. But he's not going to just run the ropes. He's going to jump up, mm-hmm. point, turn, then the arms come out in the big I'm going to run movement, and the, then the legs start moving, then he bumps against the ropes, and then he bounces and he flies at you. And it's like, you could take that as being, oh, that's just over-the-top, silly, goofy shit. No. Which a lot of people kind of, in bad faith, I think, are like, oh, he's just being silly, he's being try-hard. But when it is an athletic contest that you're trying to present, just because where we're coming from is video games Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that what we're taking from there isn't actually something that is enhancing what we're meant to be doing. It's meant to be using your bodies to tell a story. And what better way to use your body in an interesting way than taking from a video game where Mm -hmm. we're literally dialing it up to 11. Isn't that what wrestling's meant to be? Exactly. And for me... That style of like tells always makes me think back to doing like certain dances. Yeah. Because like in certain dance styles, like Ciroc, it's all about non-verbal choreography. So, so you're they doing know it on when the fly. to come yeah. and do the next bit. You know, or whatever, if you yeah. tilt your hand in a certain direction, you're going to do this particular type of spin. And I've always said, right from the very beginning episodes of How to, that's the stuff that I'm always most interested in. And I think there needs to be more of in wrestling because. There's different ways of planning a match. You know, you've got the macho man way of like writing a list, which maybe isn't the best idea. You've got John Cena of like, you know, calling it in the ring with all Bellowing it in the ring. But honestly, I think the best form of calling a match is with something like Kenny Omega's style because your opponent can see, right, he's doing that, you know, animation. (laughs) I know he's going to run the ropes, which means I should do then this. Yeah. It means that you can non-verbally communicate exactly what's going to happen next without it being too obvious to the crowd. Yeah, I believe that there are similarities and like a lot of people are going to have their eyes rolled in the back of their skull when I say this, but I do believe there's a lot of similarities between what he's doing in a modern sense to like what a Ric Flair would have done back in yeah. the day. Because Ric Flair certainly is one of those guys who would have wanted to see how it gets, you know, the match kind of get cold in the ring or the kind of the spots are kind of like they naturally lead into each other. When wrestling reaches that peak moment of like, one brain two bodies where they feel like they're in sync and it can cross over language barriers yes. and you know like where people seem to be able to predict what the other person is going to do almost mm-hmm. on instinct i feel this style really lends into that and i think that is for my taste and i think for yours as well when wrestling is at its best yeah. when you can see people are just you know 
able to feed into each other yeah. and build upon what the last thing that happened. All of my favourite wrestlers that I can think of, with the exception of Macho Man, they have that natural ability to just feel how a match should go. Yeah. And I think that's partly, again, why we talked about this before, why the audience is so important, because it's not just what your opponent is doing in the ring. It's also listening to the crowd and hearing what kind of pitch they're at and what they want and using all that information to determine, right, at what point in the match are we at? How yeah. much time is left? What do I need to be doing at this point? So it's very interesting looking at interviews with Kenny Omega where he lists some of his favourite wrestlers growing up and some of his influences. And I mean, I feel like because he's someone who, before we've done the episode, you'd seen a lot of him. Because hmm. we, we review all the AEW pay-per-views over on our Patreon page. Yeah. And I kind of feel like, you know, we'll get to it later in the episode, but how he kind of was introduced and his style was introduced wasn't maybe the most seamless thing in the world. I don't want to say that we were starting this episode on the back foot, but I certainly had like in the back of my mind kind of thinking, well, we have to, we have to go back. Before, we can't just kind of go from where we already are because th- yeah. that's just a very narrow view of Kenny. But hearing what some of his favorite wrestlers were, <laughs> I felt like, okay, Kenny, you're doing me a favor here in helping me help myself help Joe. Yeah. Because some of these wrestlers that he listed, it's basically a list of Joe's favorite wrestlers. My favorite wrestlers and the Ultimate Warrior, <laughs> yeah. who is there for some reason. It's okay. It's because Kenny was a child in the 80s. And yeah. if you're a child in the 80s, your favorite wrestler was either Hulk Hogan or the Ultimate Warrior. Look, it's it's fine. Or maybe Macho Man. Either way, mm, you, you liked a bad a person. Or Ric Flair. Maybe you liked a bad person because you watched wrestling. Hey, you watched wrestling. You liked a bad person. Hey, look, there you at go. least Ric Flair and Macho Man could fucking wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> but look, the thing is, is that He's coming at you saying, yeah, okay, grew up, he liked the Ultimate Warrior, but his actual favourite wrestlers and influences yeah. when he was growing up, it's Owen Hart, mm-hmm. Rob Van Dam, Eddie Guerrero. Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect. Her angle. And the one that really blew my mind, it's actually in one of his, he does this kind of in the ring series he did where he kind of was like just talking through his philosophy and how he works matches with with a bunch of trainees. And he's like, do you know who one of my most favourite wrestlers and performers in the WWE is? It's Vince McMahon, because every match that he does is extremely unique, and it's must-see, and it's unexpected, and it's a performance like nothing else. I agree. Wow! Like, what the fuck? He's literally just... I feel like he's cribbed his favourite wrestlers from you, or vice versa. This is quite wild, indeed. (laughs) So, Kenny grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, which is fairly isolated compared to most kind of metropolitan centres, let's just say, up north. It's not a place that's known as a wrestling hotbed, let's just say, even though it did also give us Chris Jericho oh. and Don Callis. Oh. So it, there is there are some big names from there. But yeah, growing up, he liked The Ultimate Warrior. And I kind of related to this because Kenny was a kid who was mercilessly bullied when he was growing up. And really? Do you want to know why he was bullied, Joe? Because he had a curly hair. Oh, for fuck's sake. And his mum and his gran loved his curly hair and they'd be like, make sure we grow it out and make it extra curly. And it's like, man, oh man, like as as a kid who had a lisp growing up, I, you know, and, and was like the only kid in the entire school who had glasses. Mm. You know, if, if you have anything that's remotely a target on your back, yeah. kid's going to be mean. And yeah, little Kenny got beaten up all the time. Oh. And the saddest thing in the world is him talking about, he's Tyson Smith, by the way, is his real name. What? Tyson no. Smith. No. <laughs> the most Canadian name ever. Like, what? 
Tyson. Tyson Smith. Tyson Smith. No. From Winnipeg. No, he doesn't look like a Tyson Smith. He oh. looks like a Kenny. Little curly-haired Tyson Smith been beaten up, and he, in an interview, he's like, "And yeah, what I would start to do is I would, uh, I start to hook up like the Ultimate Warrior, because you know the Ultimate Warrior could beat all the bad guys, and I'd, I'd, you know, try and start shaking. There were no ropes, but I would just start shaking, <laughs> and then they beat me up even worse." I can exactly imagine he's exactly the type of kid who I'd have been friends with and I'd have like fiercely protected and like kicked the shins of all the bullies for daring be mean to that lovely little boy I was I was thinking like kind of oh man you gotta pick a better wrestler to be inspired by because like when I was a kid getting beat up all the time I'd be like my favourite wrestler is Mankind and he can get beat up and nothing happens to him and I just got beat up and I'd be lying there in a pool and be like (sighs) <sighs> I did it just like mankind. So it's a good thing I didn't watch wrestling growing up because I'd have definitely been influenced by Boss Man. Yeah, that I'd have been, been good. a fucking terror. Look, lock, lock up your dogs. Like. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he he was you know you know a typical kid of the of the eighties. You know he grew up. He liked to go to the arcade machines and the the local laundromat or whatever it was. Street Fighter Two was like his big love originally. Mortal Kombat as well. So you know. From a very early age, this was coming into his DNA. And he said, you know, video games was a lot more important to him growing up than wrestling. Really? He actually fell out of love of wrestling kind of, you know, during those years. Well, I imagine if years. you could get beaten up for doing the Ultimate Warriors thing. Yeah. Yeah, maybe some bad memories associated there. But yeah, there's this really cute video that was going around from him about a month or so ago of him talking about his childhood and his mum, like, giving him some money to go to the shop to get bread and eggs and milk or whatever. And he has, like, a, you know... A a penny left over for ice cream so he goes to the get ice cream and then he plays street fighter at the arcade and he's like rollerblading there because it's the, like the 80s and there's something very i don't know even though he, we're talking about a four-year-old man and like one of the most high performance athletes we've ever talked about there is kind of an undeniable innocence about him like he still has oh, yeah. that kind of like boyish charm to him still for sure but yeah i just thought it was really nice that we get to do an episode on someone whose childhood, you know, yes, he was bullied and I feel horrible for him that ha- happened. But like on the whole, he had a great childhood yeah. compared to a lot of the other people we've done episodes on. It's just refreshing to be like, and he went rollerblading for ice cream. Yeah, he's a well-adjusted, happy childhood. Parents you love know. him. Yeah, we're not talking about like, he was a broken, torn up madman who only found solace in the fucked up world of wrestling. Yeah not the case at all mm-hmm. you know and, and it is kind of something that warms my heart is that you know, the more modern we get with wrestlers the more often that that is kind of commonplace yeah. i feel when we go back earlier it's like the kind of island of you know misanthropes or whatever it is find their way into wrestling but yeah there's a kind of a wholesomeness there which is nice to see but yeah fell out of love with wrestling mm. he started kind of getting really more into you know doing sports in in high school and stuff like that you know playing hockey was a big big thing he was a goalkeeper and he got actually a scholarship to go to university Whoa. on the basis of being a goalkeeper that really surprised me i'm guessing it's ice hockey yes that's so surprised me because I know we were saying how like buff he is, but like if you look at him when he's young, he's like such a skinny little oh, yeah. twink boy. He's it's, not naturally a big lad. I would not have thought of him like ice hockey alone, but like a goalie in yeah. ice hockey? You'd have to be fucking huge to do that, I would have thought. And something that's very interesting as well about that is like, obviously, Joe and I know fucking dick all about ice hockey. I mean, I used to watch quite a bit of it in my really? youth. Really? Oh, I've got a Detroit Red Wings jersey. Whoa! I'm sorry for all the uh, Seahawk fans listening. <laughs> Can't believe I've got a Red Hawker in the house all along. 
But back, you know, obviously the little I know about ice hockey, yeah, the goalie has to wear all this kind yeah, of kit and all that. But if you go back to the eighties or whenever it was, obviously technology, it's streamlined new materials and all that. Yeah, so, also like health and safety. Yes. Dangerous. So what he wore back then, you know, he said a lot of the reasons why he ended up being the goalie and got those opportunities because he's one of the few people who could actually put on all the kits and actually be able to move around with wow. it. It's, it's, it's not for everyone, let's yeah. just say. You have to be strong. So, yeah, the interesting thing about this is that, you know, he's watching at this time, you know, some videos from, like, kind of Japanese wrestling. He gets some, you know, kind of uh, uh, a little taste of that, you know, for the local video store. He starts to watch a little show that's been syndicated called ECW. And he sees <laughs> Rob Van Dam. He's like, okay, wrestling's kind of hokey and all that, but... That guy's pretty cool. I and mean, you know, maybe I'm just to say, maybe I was to potentially do wrestling. Maybe it might be a bit of that. I and, love you know. that he watched ECW and picked the single dorkiest wrestler. Like, Robert Dam in the 90s ain't dorky, Most Joe. athletic and most dorky. Sorry, but he <laughs> is dorky. Like, he's cool as well. I think both those things can be true. But you're telling me he's less dorky than Sandman? <laughs> Come on. Rob Van Dam is the most dorky wrestler in ECW. That's fine. It's a compliment. <laughs> what do you mean by dorky? Because uh, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like... Because when I think dun- dorky, I think like the Blue World Order, for instance. Bunch of dorks. Like a little bit like that. Like silly. Are you willing to have fun? You don't take yourself too seriously. Do you mean high? Open-minded. No, I don't mean high. Because <laughs> Kenny's dorky. He's yeah, not high. Yeah, he is. He's, he's, he's goofy, yeah. I just mean like... I think mainly I mean like not taking yourself seriously. Right, okay, yeah. I get you, yeah. He kind of... He kind of I don't know, I think he definitely from an early age was drawn to the entertainment aspect of yeah. it as well as the athleticism aspect of it. But what was really wild for me to find out in his early days didn't actually have formal, in inverted commas, wrestling training. What? As in he didn't like kind of show up and like, right, give me a thousand dollars, welcome to the blank training academy and you're going to become a wrestler. He just kind of started doing it, you know, local... What, very... in his garden or whatever? No, just like kind of these local tiny indies, you know, he, with the NWA, which would have been kind of a skeleton of its former self at this point. Wow, yeah. So he got you know, a few opportunities here and there. This is where I'm kind of intrigued to know if there is any kayfabe or bullshit, because I have tried to research as much as I can and I've only found grainy old photographs and the only people who are saying this is true are Kenny Omega and Don Callis. Mm. But allegedly, when he got started off, Kenny's uncle was apparently a local indie wrestler called the Golden Sheik. And I don't know why the Golden Sheik sounds like the most made-up name of a wrestler ever. I just think Golden Vampire, Golden Sheik. But apparently... The Golden Sheik told an indie wrestler in in Winnipeg at the time, hey, look after my nephew. He's coming in. He's really athletic. He's Mm. got some really cool ideas. And that indie wrestler was Don Callis. Right, okay. Which they've kind of taken that and they ran with it as a weird kind of storyline where like Don Callis, he was like out of a greasy manager wrestling promoter type character in AEW. They've kind of told the story that, like, he scouted Kenny when he was, like, a 14-year-old boy. Right. He's like, this guy's going to be the future of the business. <laughs> I'm going to attach my rocket to him or whatever it is. So, yeah, I'm trying to find out information about the Golden Sheik. Hmm. Kind of tricky. So, yeah, is there no evidence that he really existed then? There, there, are, there are pictures. I do think he oh, There are pictures. There are pictures, but it also... Is it Kenny it, Omega dressed up in a costume? No, it's like Don Callis with some owls lad, and you go, that's the golden mm, sheik there. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe I'm just like, this happens when you're a wrestling fan of X amount of years. You, you get very guarded. 
and I won't You're doing the get fighting fists yeah. right now. No one's gonna get me. I can't be worked. I yeah. live I lived through four years of Vince Russo booking as a child. I will I will not be swerved again. Mm-hmm. But yet yeah, the golden shield. I don't know why I'm saying allegedly. Like, why would he lie? Like, you know, why would, it, why would a wrestler lie? Why would okay. a wrestler lie? The, the reason why I'm not convinced about it is that there's a lot of interviews I watched with Kenny. A lot of shoot interviews from like kind of 2014 and prior, and he makes no mention of the golden sheik. Yeah. He mentions that his dad like was a hockey player and you know was involved in kind of the local sports scene and all that. And that was, I think, a way which because they would share arenas and stuff like that. That's one of the ways that he kind of got his foot in the door. But I'm not sure if the if the Golden Sheik is just kind of a, a fun little Don Callis, Kenny Omega little wrinkle. Mm. I'm going to get a phone call now. I'm the Golden Sheik. Mm. And I'm very disappointed that you alluded to me not existing. <laughs> I am in fact real. And my nephew, Kenny Omega, will be contacting you via his golden lawyer. <laughs> also, Golden Sheik? Mm, I know. Golden lover? Golden yeah. lawyer? What's going on here? I don't know. I, I think I'm just paranoid at this point. Like, yeah. <laughs> so the NWA at the time, which is very like not like the NWA that we would have talked about in kind of you know previous eighties and seventies focused episodes. This would have been kind of a loose band of kind of small indie companies. And this has been around what time? Like late nineties, right. early noughties. So they would vote on where they're going to have like their kind of convention, and their convention at that point is like, hey, we'll send a bunch of wrestlers from all of our various territories. We'll put on a bit of a super show. And they voted to have it on in Winnipeg, mm. which is where Kenny was. And, you know, Winnipeg was by no means a wrestling town. It was kind of like the type of place where if you grew up as a wrestler, you didn't have aspirations to go much further afield, let's just say. Mm. Like, he did some stuff with the kind of revamped Stampede Wrestling that Bruce Hart tried to get off the ground. Right, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, he did some of the death tours, you know, oh. going across the frozen lakes. Yeah. Getting $25 to dig a truck out of bare ice with your fucking hands. like So, you know, he did a bit of that, you know. But, yeah, he was very much of the opinion that, you know, I'll be a wrestler here in Winnipeg and I'll go on and do something else probably. Right. You know, I don't think he thought that it was going to be a career per se. Mm. So, at this convention they have, he gets wind that Harley Race is going to be having a training camp coming up that he's been invited to, and it might be pretty cool for him. Now, do you remember Harley Race from a yeah. last episode? Oh, yeah, he was uh, Vader's manager for he a was. while. But honestly, I, I keep thinking back to the pay-per-view classic we did of oh, the yeah. AWA, and he was in that. Yeah, him and the Rough Riders. Yeah. Handsome Harley Race. Mm. An old-school, old-timey individual indeed. Proper old school. You know, very, very influential figure in wrestling at the time. Up until his death, he was someone who trained a lot of people who went on to WWE and you know doing a training camp with him that's a pretty pretty good opportunity potentially and the idea was is that you give Harley your $500 whatever it was you get to come to my training camp and the best people at the training camp will get a spot on my super show I'm doing in Kansas City and you'll get to be seen on my big special Harley race wrestling show and Kenny was like I kind of smelled a rat because this thing we were all paying money to potentially be a part of he was already posting the card up around saying, like, look, who's coming here? Like, he was already kind of decided who was going to be there, whatever right. it is. So it's good to know that no matter how big a legend you can become in this wrestling industry, you can still graft the youngsters. Yep. I think that's so fucking shit. Yeah, and I think it's still going on. I mean, there's so many ways you can squeeze a dollar out of the wrestling industry without doing that, right? Yeah, but that way is easier, isn't it? And you probably make a bit more money. Probably, yeah, and you get to big yourself up to everyone. Yeah. So he does his training camp with Harley Race, and like a couple of days in, they're like, I got a little surprise for you. 
and Harley goes over and <laughs> the way Kenny tells it is really funny because it's like kind of you know, a big you know garage door that you have to pull open with a chain right and he's like Here. in my head I'm imagining not a garage door but like a big velvet curtain <laughs> with like a gold <laughs> rope tassel and yet Harley's like hang on a second <laughs> Dramatic music. Dramatic music. All the dry ice comes up yeah. and slowly the door raises up and behind it is, it's Johnny Ace Boo. from the WWE. And I'm here to commit acts of Put sexual... Uh, behind the curtain. <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> he literally is like, there you go, his, his jacket over his shoulder. And he's like, hey everyone, I'm here from the WWE and uh, Harley tells me that some people here might be uh, potential superstars. It sounds like he's talking to a bunch of children. I mean, a lot of them are, basically, like 19-year-olds. Now, someone's parents told me that someone here likes ice cream. Is it somebody's birthday? (laughs) I'm actually doing like a balloon animal now. (laughs) Look, I made you a balloon Johnny Ace. It's crap. (laughs) And he's like, you know, I was someone like you at one point. Came in here, training camp, and then, you know, I found myself walking out in the Tokyo Dome, 80,000 people. I look around, they're chatting Johnny Ace, and I think, huh, that's pretty cool. So I look at you kids, and I think, someone's going to become a millionaire today. And he's like, you know, if you do well at the training camp and at the show, you're going to get yourself a spot in WWE, potentially, because he is a talent scout for WWE this time. Right. Who are looking to kind of you know, build up their developmental system. I see. And what sort of time would this have been? Like early noughties, thereabouts. So, I'm trying to think what WWE would have been like at this point. Is this Attitude Era? This is post-Attitude Era. Right, okay. This would have been into the kind of real ruthless aggression time. Right, you know, that makes more sense. John yeah. Cena, Batista, maybe trying to prepared the next kind of generation or whatever it was yeah. would have been slightly after in the time where similarly extremely young daniel bryan was offered a developmental ah. contract with wwe so anyway even though harley race apparently didn't like kenny omega at all <laughs> like he lined them all up and like you know harley had his guys at the camp who he was actually training he's like this guy great fundamentals unbelievable he's future hall of famer right here Pay me a thousand dollars and then he points to kenny omega he's like you not so sure about you, boy. You know, mm, very risky, very risky. But in spite of that, apparently Kenny was the guy who, that Johnny was like, okay, this guy's maybe got something. Kind okay. Of, you know, got yeah. some natural athleticism to him. You know, he, he's maybe a piece of clay that we can mold. Right. And he finds himself being offered a developmental deal for WWE, you know, on the spot. So he's only been training for a short time at this yeah. point. And informally at that as well, you wow. know. So, you know, he, he had a couple of years under his belt, but yeah. this was like huge opportunity yeah. because when you get signed to developmental back then it's not like now where it's like hey you go to nxt report for duty or whatever you know you're going to one of their developmental like satellite territories you're going to go work in a small little place yeah like an ovw mm-hmm. or where kenny went it was deep south wrestling but they pay you to train yeah so you get paid money just to go and work out yeah. and all that stuff wrestlers dream come true I mean, yeah, if you're in your early 20s and someone's like, hey, WWE are going to pay you to go and become a better wrestler. Yeah. That's, that is literally the, the dream ticket right yeah. there. Uh, it doesn't go so hot for him in the in the trading camp. Mm. He heads down there and the head trader in Deep South Wrestling is a gentleman by the name of Bill DeMott. Oh, no. What do you know about Bill DeMott, Joe? What, what could you share with the, uh, the listeners about old Bill? You know what? I... Nothing about Bill DeMott ever stays in my head, like the specifics. I know he's a piece of shit. It's not good stuff, usually. I, I don't know why. I think he was a bully or a hazer. 
or an all abuser. Of the, all of the above. Uh, yeah, I know he was he was like fired when I first started watching wrestling for yeah stuff coming out about him. That was a kind of a big thing because remember when you started watching it was when like NXT was properly yeah. coming into its own as its own promotion. And all of a sudden there was a bit of a spotlight and a lot of stories have come out from people who had trained under him saying like this guy's you know. There's a hazing aspect, which is probably unnecessary when you're working for a publicly traded company. It's fucking ridiculous, isn't it? Also, it's not the fucking 80s anymore. Well, that's the thing. He has this idea, like, that's how I was trained. We've got to, you know, get out the weakness, you know? Yeah. So you got to treat them mean, keep them keen as young wrestlers. Mm-hmm. So I tried to find out specifics. I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, he's an you know, abusive, horrible trainer. I was trying to think, what, what did he actually do, though? Like, what would you, what would you do? And like Kenny, the little bits he talked about in interviews, it'd be stuff like, and these are all people as well who've been signed because they know how to wrestle already. They they have been trained up to a point, like they have fundamentals of, of a sort. Mm. And they would do things like, hey, we're going to do a drill today where you come into the ring, you take a bump, and then someone comes in, they take a bump, and then they pick you up and they throw you out of the ring onto the floor. Right. And then you're going to do that again, except this time you're going, to, you're going to get thrown out of the ring onto the floor and then hit the barricade. What? So you have like 20 guys spending two hours throwing each other out of the ring God, easy into a barricade. Easy job for Bill DeMott though, isn't it? Like anyone could do that. Oh yeah, go and fling yourself at some shit. I don't, I don't care. But like, that's fucking wild, yeah, isn't it? It's just lazy. But it's also like... Stupid. They're paying for these kids to train. Yeah. You're basically paying to injure That's it. your future stars. And what, if you get injured by being thrown out of the ring for the 47th time and mm. having to bump into the barricade? I assume they still have to pay them even while they're injured. I mean, that's not good business, is no. it? No! Like, get that man fired into the sun! Can you think of any of like the kind of more like uh, scary wrestling training stories that we've had in previous episodes? I mean, they're all like pretty old school like yeah. hitting people for real because it's like you know they're new to the business and they don't know how things work yet you, you want to kind of kayfabe them a little yeah. bit you know or like you know i think there's a lot of facets about wrestling training which seems to an outsider like as a little extreme but it's kind of necessary like the long hours yeah. and the lots of travel or taking loads of bumps taking loads of bumps like some yeah. of that stuff is just unavoidable that's if part you of be it yeah. a good wrestler but like you know I, I would hear these stories a few years ago where it's like can you believe there's this uh, dirtbag training school and they like they hit them with chairs because they're like oh you gotta learn how to take a chair shot and it's like you know it's like their third week or whatever it is and it's like most people won't do that until like they're several years in or whatever it is yeah. you're actually training and the way he tells it is that you know, you'd be covered in all these tiny scratches and bumps and grazes and contusions mm-hmm. and all that. And it would just kind of death by a thousand cuts, basically. It's you know? interesting because I feel that is something that people go through anywhere with wrestling. Like anyone who's a wrestler, You're like even people that, yeah. who are like, you know, have been wrestlers for like, you know, someone like Charlotte or Becky Lynch, who's someone who's been like, I don't know why I picked two women, but Randy. you could pick literally any wrestler at the top of their game and you you can guarantee they'll be covered in yeah. cuts, scratches and bruises. It's, it's part of the yeah. job. So I think it says a lot that someone like him, who is a very tenured wrestler, is even still like, but this is a bit beyond the pale. Yeah. Like, I, how many contusions is this guy giving? I just like, I, I think there is an element of it where they want to have this idea that we can break you down. Yeah. And then, you know, you've learned something so, so far, but that's not what we want you to have. We want you to have this style, the style that, will work on WWE television. So we're going to kind of, for lack of a better term, beat it out of you. Do you know what it makes me think of? 
like prison yeah or like <laughs> old private schools this idea of like you break someone down or like even you know an abusive relationship the idea of you break them down and down and down until that's it you can completely control them mm. it's less about making them better and more about making you have more power over them the thing that kenny would find himself doing is because people would be so bust up from all like the, the non-stop drills and the really harsh training and you know, you know, the screaming in your face, you know, he would make people do, you know, do sit-ups until he gets sick, you know, do push-ups until he gets sick, like that type of thing. And Kenny, being the fucking phenomenon freak that he is, athlete-wise, he would do stuff like, kind of like, hey, Bill, if I do, you know, 500 free squats, can we, you know, break early and go go get dinner? You know, and he, he, he was always that guy, like, he told the stories on, you know, those death tours as well, where he'd be like, hey, you know, if I go and, like, dig the fucking car out of the ice, can we go early? Like, he would always try and help Aww the group and i think there's something about him that it's not easy to pick up on in wrestling when someone is empathetic yeah but as maybe you know the way he was raised his values whatever it is yeah. there's these constant dribble feed of stories i've gotten of him being like hey i'll be the guy to do the sucky thing if it means that this person here has you know a slightly less shit experience today i know there's a lot of people who are probably thinking right now oh it's because he's canadian but like come on chris jericho is not gonna be doing that stuff no way i think that kenny should do all the bumps and then i can go get dinner so you know we actually watched one of his matches from when he was in this system and it was him versus heath miller aka (laughs) heath slater down in deep south wrestling and it was a Kind of a strange Twilight Zone experience for me, Joe. Mm-hmm. Watch this. How did you get on with uh, Heath Miller and it was young, good. young Kenny Omega? It was a really good match. Solid. Heath Slater is, is a good wrestler. Yeah. But it was weird seeing Kenny almost be oh, at yeah. half speed. For sure. They've like dialed him right. It's like they've put him in the 2K game and then given him a much lower power rating. Yeah, or just the default moveset. Yeah. Because you know? he's doing the kind of the, the standard WWE yeah. moves. They're running against the ropes, dropping down, you know, standard forearm comeback, the it's little all, bit yeah, of just fire. slower and, and softer. Doesn't seem like he's having a great time. He seems bored. Yeah, honestly, it feels like he's just kind of going through the motions, which is weird because when you're ever in a situation where you're kind of like, hey, this is your dream, kids. Live your dream. You're, you're. This is it right now. You're living yeah. your dream. And you see them. They're like, eh, he doesn't look like he's living his dream right now. No. Seems like he's kind of having a bit of a shit time. Yeah. And it's quite dis- discouraging. He I mean, he gets to keep his name Kenny Omega. Lucky guy. But I guess that's the time he came up in. It was less of a thing then. To, yeah. To completely rebrand. I mean, if he went onto the main roster, they wouldn't have let him be Kenny Omega yeah, I'm for sure. sure. They certainly wouldn't let him do a Hadouken. <laughs> and that, I think that's the only actually kind of video gamey thing he had at the time. Though he like kind of do a Hadouken. It's funny. You know, that's just kind of. It's not. It's barely a move. Barely, like, like yeah. But yeah, I think it's an important lesson for most wrestlers to learn that the end goal shouldn't necessarily always be the WWE. Because only a certain type of person will really fit in there. Because yeah. it's a it's a corporation. It's like it's like how not everyone is suited to an office job. It's yeah. fine. Is the world is a rich and beautiful place, and the wrestling industry alone has so many different styles and promotions. And I think it's a lot of episodes we've done now of wrestlers coming up, being signed by WWE, and going, "Oh, God, my dream is kind of shit." Yeah. And then they kind of have to refine and redefine what their goals actually are. I think that's really good and important to do. And it's good to know as well that like times have changed. Yeah. You know, this is early, you know, probably around 20 years ago or thereabouts, I guess, where we're, where we're looking at in terms of that, that style of training, which is both 
feels for I guess younger people oh that's ancient history that's like when I was born or whatever it was but like <laughs> for us like that feels still kind of recent yeah. and it is wild to think that the billion dollar publicly traded company was training people in that manner up until know, that point yeah. that's crazy because NXT but, is like now in that training centre that they have the oh performance centre they're so, so hands on with it, it all it's, it's a completely different yeah. system it is as corporate and sanitised as humanly possible but yeah back then they didn't care it was just like oh it's a way for us to hoard talent yes oh we'll shove Bill down there he'll he'll keep them in line we'll throw a few lumps of coal into the grinder yeah. and maybe a shard of a diamond will pop out the other side yeah but I honestly think it was less the idea of they actually want good talent to sign onto their main show mm. and more we want to make sure those people don't go elsewhere yeah or we're putting our stamp on letting people know this is this is WWE yeah. it's tough you yeah. gotta be tough you know yeah because we're the best and I think toughness is definitely important in wrestling. Oh, yeah. You know, mental toughness more so than anything, I believe. But I just feel the very process of becoming a wrestler... Like, you go to your first day of wrestling training, for instance. I had a friend who trained to be a wrestler. He ended up becoming, I think, one of the first legally blind wrestler in China, cool. which is really cool. What a, what a peculiarly specific moniker to I have. I know, so cool. And he said himself, he was like, yeah, for the first two weeks of wrestling training, you will work out and take bumps until you're sick. Yeah. Like, that's not something they're trying to make you do. It's inevitability. But it's the inevitability. It's tough. It's your body isn't designed to do that type of work. Mm. So you have to learn how to kind of cope with that stuff. Well, for every John Cena and Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton, like surefire hit that you already know is going to be a star that you polish up in that system you get someone like Kenny Omega, who I consider to be mentally one of the toughest people in wrestling, just because he is someone who engages with the fucking toxic and the the, the bile and the hatred online and gets such, such a non-stop barrage. And because he cares about other people, he kind of feels for them as well. Like the, you know, the, the, the Japanese women he's brought into to, to America, he feels like personally responsible for the racial abuse that they've gotten like yeah. so the fact that he's still fucking standing on two feet hats off to him but the fact that you could take someone like that mentally physically tough has all the the tools all the natural athleticism and the creativity all the things you'd want in wrestling and he literally finds himself at the end of his developmental contract going i don't think i want to do wrestling anymore actually yeah. i'm gonna go do jujitsu instead that's not a good system. Well, <laughs> I feel that's kind of the system working as it was designed to at that time. You didn't want those free thinkers or yeah. whatever it is you they want to call them. They don't want people who are that far along in their journey, I think. They want people who are more moldable, who will fit the very narrow mold of WWE superstar. I think it's wild that he finds himself that... Like, this is his background in jiu-jitsu, which I was shocked to hear because... If you have a background in jiu-jitsu or anything remotely MMA-based in wrestling... <laughs> it's like your gimmick It's forever. like your gimmick. Yeah. And like, and he was asked about it in interviews. He's like, yeah, I mean, I, I did it. You know, he's got a... You can check his records there on Wikipedia. He did loads of, of fights and all that. But he's like, it doesn't look good for my style or I don't want to do it yeah. as part of my character. So he doesn't do it. But apparently in his jiu-jitsu uh, run, his issue was is that he got all hung up on like wanting to have a good jiu-jitsu match. Like, what will pop the audience? What will be a cool encounter for them to see? He was working. <laughs> like in Street Fighter. Yeah. And he it, loves to work. It, I really respect that. If there's any place where that probably won't fly, it's competitive MMA and martial arts yeah. of any sort. So his win-loss record ain't so hot there. <laughs> because he's there literally thinking, like, oh, what's, what's, gonna, what's the finish? Like, yeah. which hopefully should be you winning, but, you know. It must be so hard 
to put on a worked match with someone who is doing a shoot match. Yeah, you can, because you'll be like, you can't escape. Well, bam, you're knocked out. I'd love to watch one <laughs> and see what a mess it must be. So very fortuitous. You know, he still has kind of one toe in the water and doing the kind of the small indies here or there, but he is kind of not thinking about doing it anymore, wrestling like as a full-time endeavor. He thinks mm. he's going to move on to other things, basically. And AJ Styles, who is working in TNA at the time as the X Division champion, he like does an indie date in Winnipeg and says, "Hey, Kenny Omega, let's let's have a match." They have a match which he literally credits with reinvigorating his love of wrestling. We actually saw a clip of it afterwards where AJ Styles is like, and you know the best thing that you did, Kenny Omega? One, you had a great match with me. Two, you said no to that piece of crap company, WWE, and you told him to go <laughs> shove it. Yeah, AJ, fucking stick it to the man. Cross the line, brother. You'll never side with that piece of shit company. I just, I love the hubris of it. Yeah. But like, it's cool that it's like a fairy tale thing, isn't it? Like, and then he wrestled the best wrestler in the world at the time. Yeah. And he went on and he rediscovered his love of wrestling Mm -hmm. starts watching more japanese wrestling and someone takes his eye he sees this cool promotion his friends like check this out because they're all watching you know his indie wrestling friends are all watching japanese wrestling trading tapes yeah and this promotion ddt from japan dramatic dream team which i believe came up briefly in our tajiri episode and they prided themselves on being kind of a combination of comedy outside the box thinking dramatic storytelling melodrama if you will crazy characters there look if you want to know what they're all about they're the company that had the sandman battle royale where everyone came out <laughs> to enter sandman with a singapore oh, cane and a my beer God, it's the best promotion in the world and this is when like when we got to this point in the research this is when your eyes lit up like yeah. christmas tree well like. this is the stuff <laughs> that kind of got me into wrestling before like after the stuff where I saw like the Attitude Era fun bits with like Mick Foley and stuff, but before we started like really doing the podcast, this mm. was the stuff that I was like, oh, wrestling can be art. Yes. It can be really fun. It can be like a circus. It can be scrappy. It can be dirty, but it can also be like magical and fanciful yeah. and make you laugh in a way that I dare I say no other medium can. Do you know what it is about wrestling like this? Why I love it so much? It makes me feel nostalgic. For what, like a particular time period? or Because for me, this like it makes me nostalgic for back in the days when I was watching you know, WWF in the 90s. I'm like, you know what? Like As children, like, the best thing a wrestler can do is go outside. Yeah. Because we would I then agree. go outside and we'd wrestle outside. For me, <laughs> it makes me feel nostalgic for playing with my friends. Yeah. Having fun, being goofy, you know, just playing around and being like, right, we're bored, we're all outside, what are we going to do? We're going to climb a tree yeah. and have an incredible wrestling match. We're going to tell a story. <laughs> we're all pirates now. Like, I feel... That's such a wonderfully pure feeling. Yes. And I just fucking love it. It's my favourite thing in wrestling. And I, no offence to you and your friends, Joe, and, and to me and my friends, but we couldn't work shit compared to the athletes of DDT because no. there's one thing to say about kind of, oh, we're going to go outside and do something kind of wacky or fun. And like, I remember the Bossman episode having a load of fun, me, nostalgia, you seen it for the first time of like, Bossman and Al Snow, they're literally wrestling in the street doing a move on a pool table, yeah. you know, throwing stuff at each other. Be like, ah, this is so fun. But man, the actual athleticism involved in DDT, yeah. they're not just going to go out and wrestle at the lake or no. go out and wrestle in a forest or in the street. They're going to give you an insane performance yeah. that happens to be in this place, taking full advantage of it. What I kind of love about DDT as well, at least with the clips I've seen, is it's quite lo-fi. Yes. Like, they don't have the fancy lighting and the cameras and stuff like that. It's, 
it feels like backyard wrestling or it feels like watching your friends filming them doing silly skits in the playground or whatever. It's just, I don't know, there's something really authentic about it. I just, you know, when you see that kind of backdrop, as a fan of Western wrestling, your mind immediately goes to like, oh, this is going to be like, you know, fun, silly. Yeah, but shit. Yeah, but exactly. It's like, we're doing this to compensate for the fact that like, I ain't going to take no bump on a fucking, you know, woodland floor. Yeah. Like, I might get moss on me. But we have the best of both worlds in DDT. And I think you, you were saying that maybe on the Patreon, perhaps DDT might be a adventure. Oh, classic. Yeah. love, love, love that. So I would appeal to any of our listeners here who have uh, more of a pedigree with Dramatic Dream Team Send us on recommendations for shows. We'll put it to a yeah. vote over on the Patreon page. Next pay-per-view classic, we were thinking, what what will it be? And I think that is definitely a, a good one to have settled on. Yeah, definitely. Because that's definitely going to be a lot of fun. Because, yeah, much like Kenny Omega, when we saw clips of this, we were like, the fuck, this is absolutely bananas. This is insane. This is the type of thing that you didn't think wrestling actually could be. Mm. And lo and behold, here it is. And there's a particular athlete that Kenny sees that just blows his mind a young stud, a golden alien by the name of Kota Ibushi. <laughs> and it, I don't want to say it's love at first sight. It kind of is. But it's it like, kind of is that transatlantic yeah. or trans-Pacific you see across the ocean, someone who is very similar to you, a yeah. very different background, and yet they feel very similar. <laughs> it's so sweet the way Kenny describes seeing Kota Ibushi for the first time because he's like, you know, obviously Kota Ibushi is like, of shining hunk he's so handsome but it's more the fact that his wrestling style is so he's such a gifted wrestler he's one of the best in the world and he doesn't take himself seriously at all he's always doing silly stuff and i think that's what appealed to kenny omega was like oh you can be like one of the greatest wrestlers in the world but you don't have to book yourself like a super serious champion or a superstar. You can just be great yes. and put on fun matches. And there's a kind of a similarity in ethos there where it's like you want to have something that's athletic, that is dramatic, that you know, maybe tugs at the heartstrings and makes you feel emotions. You maybe want to tell a more complex story than you know traditional wrestling programming usually affords you. But also you want to have a lot of fun and do crazy stuff and be experimental. It like really feels... I don't know, it feels weird coming from me saying this, but it has a kind of a DIY punk rock kind of yeah. ethos to it, where it's like, let's just try a load of stuff. And I'm sure there's loads of things in DDT where they try to do something wild and it falls flat in its fucking arse. I'm sure. But what he was seeing and what he was hoping to accomplish, you know, it, it, it makes this fire get lit underneath him, where it's like, okay, I'm not going to quit wrestling. Far from it. I'm going to try and get myself into this world, this yeah. DDT kind of environment yeah and specifically i want to work with him that handsome kota abushi now i don't know if he's been reading ryback's book and talking about visualizing and you know manifesting <laughs> and all that but if you are someone who's just turned down a wwe contract and is in winnipeg and you want to go to japan to work with one of the most amazing handsome fantastic athletic wrestlers of all time that you think might be your kind of special wrestling soulmate yeah <laughs> that's quite a big ask right yeah but i think Kenny Omega, he may not seem it, but I think he's incredibly ambitious. And extremely determined. Very focused, yeah. Ambition in wrestling, that's an interesting one because mm. we've talked about some ambitious wrestlers in the past and they've yeah. often been just total fucking arseholes and egotists. That's it, I feel, and wrestling's not unique for this. I feel like Hollywood and, and the media industries in general are all very much like, if you want to get to the top, you have to like climb your way up the ladder by kicking everyone else down on your way. Corpses make great footholds. Exactly. And... 
I don't think Kenny Omega has ever been like that. I think he's more... I think it's the much healthier attitude of if I'm going to be the best at what I do, I have to focus on myself, not other people. You'll always upset people along the way, even regardless of your intentions. And even if you're shit, you're going to upset people yeah. along the way. Forget about it. So the route which you discovered how he got from guy seeing something on his computer going, that's awesome, mm. to actually getting to Japan is the most wild borderline made up seeming route into yeah. getting what you want in wrestling feels like it could have only happened at that time like i don't think it could have happened any earlier and i don't think it could happen now no certainly not in the age of social media this yeah. feels like if you tried to do this it would get lost in the algorithm mm -hmm. you know you'd be one of a thousand tiktoks of someone doing something crazy or whatever yeah. but at the time and even still looking back this is crazy and yeah. amazing so kenny seeing ddt from the other side of the world basically and wanting to go there obviously it's really hard like wrestling in general is really hard to penetrate especially if you have no money so i think he saw ddt from across the pond and was like okay how do i get to work there because i can't just you know up and move that's like a, it'd be a like a huge culture shock yeah b what how what uh good what? luck getting through <laughs> customs what are you yeah. doing i'm chasing my dream yeah. i'll just write that on my uh in my visa there. and uh, <laughs> how will be paying rent sir <laughs> uh passions <laughs> so he decided to do what a lot of people would have done at this time this is like mid 2000s and he started videos of him doing backyard wrestling basically calling not calling out as in like accusing ddt of anything but being like i want to work for you this is my audition and he did that by challenging kind of people like kota abushi and being like i see what you're doing and i want to fight you and then he started kind of doing these little matches where he would show what kind of style he could do and how it would fit into the ddt branding now if you kind of think of this at the time guy who has a wwe developmental contract yeah. You know, from some perspective, he crashed and burns out of that system. Yeah. And now he's like, I'm going to go wrestle in the fucking backyard. Yeah, of my house. Like, <laughs> I, I know, I know there are wrestling personalities who hold that <sighs> against him. Who kind yeah. of look like he is this kind of... Oh, what a fall from grace. Yeah. How sad for him. How no, tragic. Like. No, it's awesome it's one of the coolest things that's ever happened in professional wrestling it's amazing and that takes us to our first match the audition tape for ddt pro wrestling as a young kenny omega takes on canadian indie wrestling stalwart mike angels and this match is less a standard wrestling show presentation and more like something you might have seen on trailer park boys i have such a soft spot for stuff like this like i grew up watching this is a very niche cut but i grew up watching pure ownage which is a canadian web series about gamers yeah and i feel canada is like world leading especially in the 2000s for like independent mini series online yeah and this is so emblematic of those types of, you know, like you say, like Trailer Park Boys, which started in really yeah. similar fashion. It's so humble. It's so humble, so lo-fi, and it makes what happens in this match so much more spectacular. Because there's something about seeing the shine of a company like AEW or WWE with all the lighting and the fancy costumes and everything. You're like, yeah, it's so impressive, but of course it is. It's it's a billion dollar company. Like, yeah. why wouldn't it be? When you see it in such a humble environment, in such shoddy on such a shoddy camera, it just really 
elevates just how impressive what they're doing is. Because you're stripping away everything else. Yeah. We're not even in a wrestling ring. We're in like a wood panelled cottage, I mean, basically, yeah, in, the, we, in, the, in the wilderness of Winnipeg. We start in his cottage in Winnipeg. And it starts with Mike Angels playing... Super Mario World, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and he's in a dressing gown. And he's just playing video games. And then all of a sudden, the camera pans to outside the window where Kenny Omega is dragging some guy by his hair, chucks him into the house and points at Mike Angels like, I want to fight you. Yeah, he challenges him for the Canadian 24-7 Hardcore Championship or yep. whatever it is. And the guy immediately is like, all right, whoosh, rips off the dressing gown. He's got wrestling singlet underneath. <laughs> I like, yeah, it, it definitely like I, when we started this, I'm like, oh, great. This is going to remind me of like kind of, you know, 24-7, you know, Hardcore Championship, Crash Holly, the Golden era of, of that stuff that I have a real soft spot for all the way from childhood up until now but it is something else as well because they're not just doing this cause they're doing this with a goal they're doing this with trying to get this man booked and this cutting edge wrestling company in Japan yeah it's a very strange way to get there. But as the match starts to come together, you realise this is the only way that you can do yeah. this. It's perfect as well because, yes, this wouldn't work for any other promotion because it's not it's not impressive enough in terms of the production. Like, yes, his wrestling is incredible, but they would probably look at this and think, oh, it's a bit amateurish. But DDT, this is exactly the stuff they love there. Yeah, when you see like you know, Kenny Omega try to put Mike into the hob that he's turned on. It's great. They're in the kitchen <laughs> and he has a pair of like tongs, kitchen tongs, and he like gets Mike's nose and he's like, ah, my nose, my nose, and then flattens his head against the stove and they're both like, as though it's really hot and you can just imagine Johnny Ace and Stanford watching that be like I think we dodged a bullet yeah. there Vince I don't think we wanted this on the TV show but it's funny because like it makes me think of the was it the House of Horrors match we watched yeah. Randy yeah, yeah, yeah. and Bray Wyatt and that's the type of stuff we were saying we wish they had done and they didn't do yeah because it's in this it's, you, oh we can't be too silly yeah. so you have to walk around this house full of gimmicks and do nothing yeah, in it yeah it's not a house you might, might move a fridge now and then or whatever yeah. it is but like there is obviously the silly comedy stuff and the over the top and it is very like we love downtown we've mentioned before we, yeah. we like kind of Japanese variety shows something mm -hmm. we're a big fan of and he is playing into that like the way he kind of goes da, 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 when oh, he get, yes. you know when he gets bopped or singed or whatever it is he's playing it up in not a western style he's trying to do it like kind of hey you know this is what I get what style that you do how you convey yes. certain emotions and whatnot it comes off to a westerner is quite cringe oh yeah as like oh my god what a weeaboo but it is important to remember this is an audition for a japanese promotion he's trying to get his job man he's showing he can communicate to a japanese audience yes. which is important for that line of work because you know a lot of folks when they come to japan and like we'll, we'll talk about this more when, we, when he moves there but like a lot of wrestlers when they go to japan it's kind of like hey i'm gonna come here make some money and fuck off yeah you know young books perfect example of that yeah. they didn't kind of ingratiate themselves in the culture they have extensive notes in their autobiography about how they love to find the hard rock cafe in mcdonald's oh my god the, the tgi fridays in, in tokyo center is is probably the best honey glazed wings i've ever had joe <laughs> worth going to tokyo just for that but kenny like he, it is earnest he is oozing love he is an otaku to his core and he he's is, trying yeah. to get this across but it's not just that silly side like when he comes out and we come out of the cottage He's doing that full classic Kenny Omega swan dive flip over off like, decking like yeah, off the decking over the backyard fence. It's so impressive landing on the solid earth 
It's so cool. Like in the background, it's just like kind of a toddler wandering around because it's like, yeah. yeah, they're just doing this, you know, at some holiday camp or whatever it is. Like, you know, stuff is going on. And there's something about, and it's not just here. It's like we were saying before about like, we, we both love it when wrestlers wrestle outside of the ring, like when they're outside and stuff. Because in a ring, it's hard to imagine what all those surfaces feel like. Yeah. And for me, I always kind of in my head, I'm like, la 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 it's not real because it's wrestling but when you see it in a real environment that you yourself would be like you've probably all fallen on the grass at some point That's, it's a hard surface it's cold it's cold yeah yeah like, i don't traditionally associate this type of wrestling with athleticism mm. i associate this type of wrestling with like bob holly walking in a river <laughs> or or me and my friends be like let's have a let's have a hardcore wrestling brawl in the in the playground and we just do ddt's like ddt 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 oh my god double arm ddt whereas kenny here it's like yeah there is caution being thrown to the wind here he is doing things onto surfaces that you're, you're not gonna you're, you're not gonna be wanting to do that normally no. you know and i love how he makes use of the environment so much it's my favorite thing about this match he they wrestle near a tree and he just like runs up the tree and does a flip off yeah it. just a backflip off of it like you know it's so absolutely cool. amazing and that's it you don't get trees in wrestling rings and that's the main <laughs> issue with professional wrestling is there's not enough, not trees, enough trees for your liking for you to run up and do a flip off of so he smash cut to the lake and you want to talk about doing moves where you wouldn't think of doing moves that snapdragon suplex that Kenny does, that's when both of your arms are pulled behind your head mm-hmm. and then he will flip you back into a suplex. The idea is that like you're meant to like, look like you land right in the back of your head, but you kind of land on your, your shoulders and your kind of upper upper body or whatever it is. But he does that like right on the dock. It's amazing because it's like a, it's a pier and it's Ow. narrow. Yeah. Really small little narrow space. Hard. Hard wood. Think of all the splinters, probably a bit wet as well. No. Again, so impressive though to see him do it. Because like you see wrestlers again doing stuff like that on small areas, like on the apron or whatever. But it doesn't really mean anything in that yeah. context. Here, it's like, shit, that's a tiny area. How the fuck did he do all those moves just there without missing and falling into the lake? Yeah, oddly, this very cartoonish, silly, weird match would probably sing more to someone who's never seen any wrestling. Yes. Because it's more relatable in that way than, than maybe a you know a, a kick ass you know five star brawl in a wrestling ring. Yeah. Because I think yeah, there's just that kind of I don't know association that you will have. Yeah, there's you like know? a relatability to yeah. it. Yeah. So he does. <laughs> you say relatability, and then he does a hitoken, and the guy goes. Whoa! Yeah, he falls in the lake. It's amazing. Kenny doing a dive into the water to do like a leg drop as the guy is floating in the lake made me want to go on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> you can really see because I think this is uh, the cottage they're resting at with this lake and everything. I think it's like where he kind of grew up, and this is a cottage he still owns. You can definitely tell. He grew up doing flips into that lake. Oh yeah, there's a like, there's a there's familiarity a, there. Yeah, and a confidence to how he does it. And it's just amazing seeing him just like dive in. And then he comes out and he's holding Mike Angel's like elbow pad. And Kenny's like, he's dead! He's dead! And the ref's like, You killed him? And he, <laughs> Count. Starts, he starts counting like one, two, <laughs> three. <laughs> So he emerges from the lake and we start our final sequence where they smash cut to being... Again, this made me feel like a child because I remember the childminder's house where I spent like two or three years after school in, in primary school. The house was being built beside another house and there was just this giant mound of dirt. Kids so we would go fucking and, yeah. go wild for a big mound of dirt. Climb to the top of it. Pretending it's a mountain. Skids down it. Yeah. Or in this case... Do a Michinoku driver on the top of it, and you go whoa all the 
way to the bottom. Mike Angels is the most generous performer I've ever seen. He's He's trying to help this man live his dream. And he's great. Like, you can tell just from the little bits he does that he's a fantastic wrestler in his own right. But he's so giving because he takes the sickest, nastiest moves. Oh, yeah. All to make Kenny look... I mean, Kenny is amazing. Like, obviously he's amazing. But he makes him look so much better having this, like... The way Mike Angels wrestles is slightly more, like, technical style. It's more like headlocks and stuff like that. And it just makes it feel, again, more real. Yeah, I just think... It's it's such a it's a short, very zany. It's available on YouTube. It'll be on the recommended yeah. bonus viewing on HowToWrestling.com. So please, I implore you to check oh, you this have out. To. It's eight minutes long. Yeah, Ke- so short. Kenny picks up the big win, and then he's you know he's essentially challenging DDT and Kota Ibushi. He will be the next top star, yeah. etc. It is a very peculiar, very confident, very weird statement. Mm-hmm. Like this is. This, I feel, speaks as much to the character and the the DNA and the bones of what Kenny Omega is as a wrestler, as as much as any of his six or seven star wrestling matches. And it made me... I don't know, I felt like there's a missing piece to the Kenny Omega jigsaw puzzle in my head, because he's someone who I've become more and more a fan of in the last four years, I've got to see him frequently. But this was kind of like an aha moment for Mm. me. I'm like, this is who this guy is. It's like when you realize that Tony Khan is a shit poster who's running a wrestling company. <laughs> Kenny Omega is the guy who has the camera and wants to spend Saturday making silly videos. The wrestler, yeah. you He's know? He's a theater kid who didn't ever do any theater. Yes, he's too busy playing video too games. Too busy playing video games and being really good at sports. So I hazard a guess that this is going to be a very well-regarded <laughs> match from your rating system. It's perfect, in my opinion. Five out of five stars. If I was Dave Meltzer, I would give this a solid seven or eight. Like, You'd break the scale. Break the scale. I love this. This is what I think all wrestling... No, no, I don't think Don't all say that. Be. No, because what I love about wrestling is that there's so many different types of it. But I wish there was more wrestling like this. Yeah. Because, yeah, I love the, the, the show and the glamour of the big companies. But what I actually really want is this lo-fi backyard wrestling style. It's one of the few lone bright spots of that pandemic era of wrestling was that it forced certain people and certain companies to think a little outside the box and maybe kind of re-embrace some of these kind of more humble ideas yeah to varying degrees of success i still think that firefly funhouse thing that they did for wrestlemania with cena and bray wyatt is one of my favorite wrestling matches of the last 10 years oh me for me it's favorite ever just because like you know what they accomplished at that time with such constraints you know it 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 blows into the mind yeah there seems to even though one's a billion dollar company this one is like probably cost them five dollars and however many hours it took them to shoot it that morning yeah there's a share there's something there about like why i like wrestling is shared by both of those matches It's really, really interesting. It's really cool. And if you're ever kind of... If you're someone like me who was like watching Kenny Omega do these amazing matches and be like, this guy is fucking incredible, but I don't fully get or understand where he's... What it is about... This is the one. This is this is the match you need to see. Do you know what? It makes me slightly sad, though, because I feel we're living in a time where everyone has a phone and a camera this, this in their pocket. This is bygone era. Everything now is being broadcast on TikTok and YouTube or whatever. And yeah, This would be done live now. We, don't, you know? we just don't have stuff like this now. Even no. though I feel there's so many young, athletic, creative people with skills to do this stuff, mm-hmm. probably even better than they did back then. Oh, yeah. I imagine if you're like 18 or whatever and you watch this, you'd be like, the fuck is the I've, yeah. I've seen 10 of these on tiktok today type of a thing but really you know? like why can't i see them i want to see them on tiktok where are they i want to i i think there is just a 
uh, it's an oversaturation of, of types it? of content. Yeah. I mean, you can find people fucking wrestling in their back garden. Putting but like, on... I know they're not going to be like Kenny Omega. No, that's like, the difference there's there. There's really, really watchable and fun about this. If, I don't know, tweet in if there's stuff like this that you're watching on TikTok or YouTube, please send it to me. I feel what's doing a lot of the heavy lifting here as well is the, the this is not just an isolated thing on its own. It's like... This is a response to what has come before him in his career. Yeah. And this is like one of the most healthy ways I've seen a wrestler ever pivot into something new. And also, it worked. Yeah. This was sent over to DDT. They were like, this is amazing. Yeah, Koto Bushi sees it and he's like, oh man, I love this guy. And, you know, it don't get much more historic and classic in terms of wrestling. Because we're talking about something that's maybe at the time was very cutting edge and different, but... You don't get much more historic and classic in wrestling than someone going, I need to fight you. Mm-hmm. And so Kenny Omega uproots his entire life and he moves to Japan. He gets his ass over there because he's going to be wrestling for DDT and he wants to do it right. He wants to live there. He wants to embrace the culture. He wants to learn the language. Mm-hmm. And he does all these things. He lives there full time for several, several years. And it is like as someone who's visited Japan a couple of times you know that's a foreign country mm. and i don't mean to say that kind of like oh it's weird it's different it's just like you have certain touchstones if you are you know western you go to europe or you go to america or you go to mexico or you go to these other places there is an understanding there's a familiarity there are certain things that you can kind of it's it's so different there yeah. you know i remember like being in tunisia and being in japan and like thinking to myself i'm truly like a traveler now in a different place yeah just because it's not set up for you just to come in and just live your life easily. I mean, yeah, I think it works the other way as well. Like, I think a lot of people from Japan have said the, mentioned the culture yeah. shock they get when they come to America. How you live, how you eat, how, yeah. you, how you work, the attitudes towards you know your pastimes, yeah. your your day job, you know, just getting around how people the treat you. Of your day, it's like so even. different, yeah. you know, and. I, I, I certainly didn't have any Japanese when I went over and I, and I don't know any Japanese but like to go over there and be like I'm going to learn the language fucking hell man there's there's a brave boy right there is all I can say mm. and DDT is absolutely lives up to its hype as being you know everything he dreamed it would be the first show that he appears at we watched that two out of three falls match he had with Kota Ibushi like it's at this special beer garden show that they would do where there would be all like kind of patio tables and stuff set up around the ring and the wrestlers who aren't wrestling would be cooking up barbecue and I serving beers and you would go in and you get to see the wrestling but you also got a meal and you got a beer sounds like literally literally like sounds best, like heaven right best thing ever in the entire world and kota and kenny have a match that could best be described as magical and living up to the hype it's such a shame that the version we saw quality is still a bit you know quality is so bad like a hundred times worse than the audition match he did for ddt like (laughs) that he did himself it's such a shame yeah i feel like you know you could probably predict i'm going to have a gripe but like ddt new japan ring of honor pwg everyone who is out there in the wrestling world at the moment how is the WWE Network objectively the worst app I have to use for my job for streaming? How is that somehow eating all of your lunch? No. And I just say from the fact that if you're sitting listening to this at your desktop computer going, what's the matter? Like, I want it on my fucking TV. I want it on a console. I want to actually watch it. With friends. With friends. Don't I don't want to be sit on the in fucking, the office. Yeah, like... I want to be sat in the office or sat on the fucking floor By with myself a with HDMI. My yeah, I'm not like, I'm not 20 anymore. I don't want to yeah. be sticking HDMI cables on the fucking ground, yeah. you know. But yeah, even in spite of the poor quality, it is available on YouTube. 
it is magical, particularly the point where they just both stop and go, let's go outside and have some fun. <laughs> and they open the doors and it's just like a beautiful day out there. <laughs> Here we fucking go. We're going to have a beautiful nighttime brawl. It's like on the street corner. <laughs> I mean, it, it just reminded me of one of Kenny's favorite games. It was like straight into like a Yakuza vibe yes. there. You know, they're doing Phoenix splashes off a fucking vending machine. There is the van that has all the chairs for the show. There's and like Kenny, a ladder in there. Pull it all out. <laughs> and you've got like, you know, fans all gathered around there's like guys being like, please stand back you people filming just it. random passerbys and all of a sudden it's like hey kenny guess what not only are you living your dream of getting to face kota ibushi and ddt you're literally doing street fire there's mm-hmm. a crowd of people going yay fight <laughs> round one fight like two out of three falls <laughs> k-o it's amazing it is it's incredible like you know yeah. you can kind of see how he falls in love with the country with that style and also like him and Kota never even met before that That's match. Mad. They just went out there and they did it. They really do have total chemistry. And I'm always fascinated by situations like this where two people can tell they have chemistry before they've even like met or talked and like, to When each you other. say chemistry, like in a in the context of wrestling, what does that mean to you? Because I feel it's a word that can be easily thrown around, like, oh chemistry. I think it can mean different things to different people. In the instance of Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, there's just like they're uh, like completely the same like energy mm. they're not quite at the same skill or maybe it's just that they do slightly different styles yeah they're not they're not like mirror images of no. each other you know in terms of style for but sure they not. are in sync there's like a non-verbal way they can communicate like the, he describes at one point like when they started resting and working together that they noticed that like their jump distance was exactly the same. They noticed <laughs> that when they did a kick, the arc of their kick was exactly the same. They noticed Aww. that their their hand span, like their reach, yeah, like there were so many things. Their height was all like perfectly mirrored. Yeah, and they were just kind of left, kind of going like, "Wow, like we've grown up so far away. The influences are so different, yeah. and yet we have all these similarities." Like you and I, like we we're married, and yeah. like part of the reason for that is like we're always like, "Whoa." You grew up in the middle of Ireland. You grew up in fucking Cambridge and we had very different experiences. I'm in fucking boarding school and you're in Blair's Britain's schools. (laughs) And like, we had such different experiences. Obviously, Mm. we're a lot closer than Kenny and Kota were. But like, there is something really cool about finding out that even though your experiences and your background are different. You've ended up becoming very similar people. Yeah, and there is something about that that I think is really sweet it's something very romantic about them for sure it's yeah just... you don't get that in wrestling very often no and no. I, d- I don't <laughs> i don't truly believe in the idea of soulmates like actually but i do kind of believe in the idea that like there are people out there who are kind of like soulmates like who are just on that same wavelength as you yeah and it definitely it's made me think over the years and this is a perfect example of it that where you grow up does not or how you grow up does not determine no you know, that you have to be a certain way and someone else has to be a certain way. And, like, you want to talk about reasons why people are drawn to Kenny and Kenny and Kota together, that's one of them. Because that is just, at its very basic, it's romantic and it's fucking sweet. But it's also, like, it speaks to, like, nice values that the world is, like, kind of a nicer place than it might appear on the surface, which we need that now and then. Do you know what else? I find it quite modern, the idea of, like, pining for someone across the world in like this long distance situation and then meeting and like just like where you're totally in sync yeah 
I feel that a lot of people our age have experienced that through like social media. Yeah, and, people on the internet and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, it is kind of a, it's something that maybe is a little bit harder for older generations to understand. Mm. And I think that this story and this, you know, Kota and Kenny's story, that is like kind of the story of Kenny's career is absolutely like, I can't think of a wrestler who's, story is is interwoven with someone else quite like Kenny's is with Kota's because you can't talk about one without talking about the other but like just it's only the difference of a few years but compare this Kenny that we see in this match compared to the Kenny we saw you know in Deep South Wrestling he has this like absolute light shining out of him the video game references are like times a million now how he's moving it's so much closer to the Kenny that you're used to now it's like he he comes out of his shell finally he gets to be the wrestler he's always wanted to be it's so sweet because he's like such a dork he's cringy as fuck but I love it I think and I'm when I say he's cringy I'm not insulting him in the slightest I think it's absolutely beautiful how he's so sincere and enthusiastic coming from your favorite cringy podcasting couple (laughs) (laughs) but it is it's just lovely it's like and I know I often compare things to like back in school, but like part of the wonderful thing about growing up, I feel, is seeing people who you knew as being very like shy about their interests kind of blossom into confident adults yes. where they're like passionate about what they're into without feeling like, oh, someone's going to judge me. Yeah, or make fun of me or yeah. you know, beat you up or whatever it is. And it's so wonderful seeing Kenny just fit in perfectly. Like, yes, this is where I belong. This is for me. Reston does not have those stories typically if ever no it's always more like oh you have to fit this mold or you have to make it your company it's never just like oh that's a lovely little hole for me that i will fit into without changing a thing and ddt is a perfect place for that because it's just about you know creativity expressing each other like he was talking about like how the the guy who was running ddt at the time loved gundam fucking loved gundam another another link to our previous episode but he fucking loved gundam yeah and he just had all these Gundam costumes made and he'd do all these matches where he just has his fucking big cardboard armor on him and he just and everyone's like, hey, it's what he fucking loves. Amazing. He's always wanted to do it and yeah. he has a wrestling company where he can do it and I that mean, fits in, you know? I mean, I think everyone goes through their kind of Japanophile phase. I don't know everyone, but yeah, I think a Most lot of, folks do. A lot I don't of know. certain type of person, especially our age, yeah. I think, go through a period of like, they either like the Japanese like anime or they like, I don't know, the fashion or... Culture, food. Yeah, whatever. music, whatever. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, when I was you know late teens, I became really obsessed with Japan. Yeah. But like, not, not from like watching loads and loads of anime and reading loads of manga. I didn't do that. Like, mm. you know, it was it was more like kind of reading about kind of you know i'd re- read a book about like salary man culture and like, oh, or i go to like a sushi restaurant and be like, oh, or yeah. i'd see like you know kind of an anime and be like, oh my god like, I'd, I'd watch you know tsunami and be like, oh my god i saw an episode of cowboy bebop ah, it's fucking <laughs> insane. did you know they made a movie of street fire and it's violent and like, you know, i think visiting japan for me i don't say it got it out of my system but it made me kind of I didn't want to be one of these people that kind of fetishizes the culture and became kind of solely, singularly obsessed with it. Yeah. But I feel like my love of Japan has been very seamlessly kind of woven into my adult life now. Mm. We have sushi at least once every few weeks because my wife makes fucking kick-ass sushi. I'm podcasting now in the shadow of a very large collection of hardcover mangas here. Mm. You know, it's, it's a country that I love. But like Kenny, to say that he's a Japanophile, like there is a it's not like a one-way thing where he's like i just love anime and i love cool video games that's it he, yeah he feels like he wants to be part of that culture and lifestyle and i feel kenny is a great example of 
showing where the love comes from and from like all different aspects of it. Because yeah, like yeah. we watched this uh this a kind of Japanology TV show, like a travel show, mm. where they talk to Westerners who are living in Japan and they did an episode with Kenny. And like the dude just fucking like he he's literally at home there. Yeah. You know, going to the karaoke bars, going to like the favorite arcades, going to all like the kind of you know the, the stores where he's gonna get the one particular piece of manga that he's after. He learned Japanese so he could read manga. That's the kind of dedication that most fair weather weeaboos like myself back in the day are like, fuck no, I'm not learning. No way, that's hard. (laughs) Like, you can't tell me that there's not like a genuine love and passion where you're going to learn one of the hardest fucking languages in the world to learn as a Westerner so you can get more culture into you. Yeah, I mean, my reason for wanting to learn Japanese was that I could read the shop signs in the Yakuza games. And I'm very (laughs) delightful anytime you tell me where uh, there is an interesting shop sign. (laughs) Like punishment cop <laughs> yeah i need to know those types of things which is funny because around this time as well he is popping back to america to do some spots here and there you know ring of honor is you know the place that would use him the most and hearing him describe in interviews where he'd go there and they'd be like yeah man those flights from winnipeg are awful expensive dude do you mind like not being paid tonight Aww. or they give a kind of money for food like oh yeah here's like 20 dollars or whatever yeah. it is it's like that's what you were making when you were a, you know a kid on the death tours mm. and you're meant to be like this international superstar like i remember seeing bits and bobs of him back in the you know the kind of the the mid 2000s and just being like yeah he's a guy mm. because he was just kind of treated as a guy in, in Ring of Honor and a lot of his American exploits he was very much focused on making his career in Japan as opposed to a lot of other people where like that's a stepping stone to become a star in America yeah. it felt very much like it was known that that wasn't his goal so he wasn't treated seriously well I think it's difficult as a wrestler if you're not if you're going to be like a freelancer or an indie wrestler to know where to live in America because it's such a big country yeah. and there's so many different places you can work. Live in Florida, brother. I mean, that's good <laughs> if you want to work for the two main promotions yeah. or a couple of the indies. And but... not pay as much tax yeah, pri- primarily. True. like. <laughs> but in Japan, because of him being signed with DDT, I think that gave him a nice like place to call home yeah. rather than being like, oh, I'm going to have to kind of stay where I am to be able to afford to travel everywhere. But he is living his best life in Japan at this point and him and Kota become a fabulous tag team not golden brothers as the original moniker they were given they corrected that in an interview and they're like no 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 we are in fact the golden lovers now i've heard it called the golden lovers but actually in something we watched koto bushi referred to it as the golden twins was originally what they were called okay so i don't know if it's a case of i think it maybe evolved a bit like along the way or maybe the word in japanese is quite similar i'm not sure but either way they were both like no we're not like that we are lovers i love the idea of them being called like the golden roommates or the golden just friends (laughs) the golden guys who just you know live together because it's the rent is actually quite expensive in county cork yeah exactly you know and they hold hands because they're such good friends that's why i wanted to ask you because it it comes up like there was a other documentary watch called the omega man that tsn did if you can find it if you're in canada i think it is on some kind of illegal streaming sites as well very interesting and they kind of talked in depth with a lot of fans who like love the Golden Lover storyline mm. and just the kind of the representation and whatnot. Yeah. Because I know a lot of fans, uh, a, lo- a lot of queer fans and whatnot of other media kind of get um, disappointed, I guess, when it's kind of just kind of coded or whatever oh, it is. Oh, like queer baiting. Yeah, I don't want to say it as blatantly as that because obviously in Japan, different culture, a lot more conservative, particularly back then. But also in Japan, I feel there's more of a subculture around um 
the idea of fantasizing about like male on male relationships yes but I, I was just kind of wondering because they never are like look they kiss each other they hug each other there's loads of like sweet photos and they're holding hands like you know come on yeah. they, they are but like even in their documentary they're talking to kenny's parents and they're like well are they like what are you talking about i don't know i'm just it's like seinfeld like they call themselves the golden lovers the golden watcher they're the golden lovers are they not that there's anything wrong with that (laughs) and i I don't know like is it a product of the time where it's like you know it's 10 years ago whatever it is yeah it could be a lifetime in 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 kind of social uh evolution or whatever but they're not blatant but they are at the same time, I guess. But they don't expressly say, hey, these guys who are called the gold lovers are in fact in a relationship. I always wonder with stuff like that, like, what are people expecting exactly? Do they want them to like fuck in the ring? <laughs> I want to like give each other a cheeky hand job to show their love for one another. Are, are they going to become Facebook official? <laughs> like, I don't want, it's funny because I'm always saying about how I like, I want wrestling to be sexy. But I don't really want wrestling to have, like, making out and stuff. And, like, God forbid we get more of that fucking sex celebration we got with Edge and Lisa. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah, the Golden Lovers are about to have a a live Live sex sex on air. And then Ric Flair comes out. Woo! (laughs) 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 I brought the lube. Woo! This is the worst thing that has (laughs) ever happened. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't really know. I don't really know what people want because yeah. I don't think there's really much place in wrestling for any type of like overtly sexual romance. Like mm. regardless of the sexualities of the people involved. I just I I think what they did was enough. Yeah, cuz it's you know, it it clearly had the desired effect. It yeah. drew in, and that's something I think it doesn't get enough credit is that that drew in scores of fans i know we like to talk about kind of during that kind of period you know a lot of people like came into wrestling because of things like total divas and the shield and stuff like that but man there is a huge 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 proportion of that audience a lot of women a lot of queer people who came in who would have thought that wrestling hell no that's not for me at all because when we talked about sexuality and wrestling before it's been talking about like kind of the gay bashing stuff with goldust and it's it's a pretty sordid history particularly in the west of it it's like a joke and even actual out wrestlers like darren young they're never allowed to really make it part of their character yeah it's not that they're booked as like a straight person and darren young had to go out and make out with loads of women it's more just like it's not really allowed to be even acknowledged it's 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 kind of a fine line to walk i guess because you don't want to be just defined by that i i I look to someone like you know uh, the acclaimed like anthony bones and max caster where it's like that's a part of them. It's definitely who they are. You know it, but it's not, they're not one note. Yeah, I feel that's kind of know? like the perfect balance. Yeah. Because he is out. You know, he they, they talk about it in promos and stuff, not as in to like make fun of him or criticize him. It's, it's just who like, he is. It's just yeah. who he is. And it's never been like a part of a storyline. Yeah, I was just interested to know kind of your thoughts on it because I feel that wrestling is, it's so kind of behind the times a lot of the time that it kind of is judged by slightly different standards. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, with the Golden Lovers, there is a slight kind of like coyness to it, but I guess that's part of the story, isn't it? The fact yeah. that it's a kind of a little bit of a wink and whatnot. I just wonder like kind of, that that doesn't seem to fly in other mediums. And yet in wrestling, it seems to be like kind of almost celebrated. Mm. I mean, I would have liked, I guess, 
for them to have actually said they were boyfriends. That would have been nice. Yeah. But I don't think they needed to. No, I think there was enough there for people to yeah. actually be able to, to glean as much information. And also, you don't want to be kind of making it become just about that then. Because also, also, they are a fabulous tag team. That's a big part of it too. Unlike things like, you know, uh, television and movies, which you might feel compelled to compare it to, wrestling is so much about the real life exaggerated. Yeah. And I'm someone's sexuality is such a personal thing and i feel for a long time kenny got a lot of heat for the golden lovers story because he hadn't openly come out and said i'm gay or i'm yeah. bisexual i mean he has there are interviews where he has like you know basically said hey I'm he bisexual. has in the last couple you know. of years like pretty much come out but there are all these videos we found on on youtube because we got we watched so much kenny stuff we get recommended loads and loads of things and there was literally like Cody omega is gay here's the proof and literally like you know someone whose avatar is the punisher symbol with the american flag yeah. over it be like look at this evidence that i've compiled about Cody omega's sexuality i'm like okay i can see probably when you're dealing with that type of wrestling fan yeah why you would want to be a little bit coded or covert or whatever it is that's exactly it if it was just all fictional then i'd be like oh yeah maybe they should have done more with it but it's not just fictional it's also kind of real life and it's completely his and coda's business if they want to come out officially or not it's like literally none of our business and i just feel it's really cruel especially from queer fans to be like no you have to come out to do a storyline like this it's like literally private yeah like i'm bisexual but i don't like bring it up all the time because as far as i'm concerned it's like no one's business yeah unless i'm having sex with you like (laughs) what on earth has that got to do with anything like i don't need to tell everyone all the time completely fine with the fact that some people want to do that when they are bisexual but it's it's down to the individual so i have absolutely no issue with the fact that he was a bit coy about it for years and even if he hadn't come out now i would still not blame him for not doing so and i think on the on the grand scheme of things you know from from what i can see just the types of folks who've been tweeting in and talked about it the fact that you know there was any representation yeah in a positive way there's none you know other than this it means so much and it is above and beyond what could have even been reasonably expected at the time and i think that he has gotten like you know what i'm just gonna say right now like you know i don't want to go on about fucking jim Cornette in this episode but like there is so much fucking dog whistle homophobia with the critiques and criticisms twinkle toes come on man and he's a lad as well by the way Cornette, who considers himself you know left of center considers himself liberal you know personal freedoms and all that but it's like you've got whether you realize it or not and i think you do You've got a lot of people who are queued up behind there where they're literally like, I don't like the gay wrestler. Yeah. I don't like that he's popular. I don't like the types of fans that have been brought in. I don't think it's any coincidence that there's a video on YouTube of Jim Cornette talking about like how cringe Kenny is or whatever. And he loves to bring up the stuff with like Joey Ryan. Yeah. And again, I feel that's another dog whistle where it's like, oh, you know, some guy talking about his penis is the same as some guy being in a romantic relationship with yeah. a man. It's like, it's not, not the, the same, same thing. You it's know. really offensive that you would even imply that. And I think there's a lot of times as well where like a lot of Kenny's, you know, friends from the past and stuff like that. It's like, you were friends with Marty Skrull yeah. and you're a pedophile. I'm like, well, that's not Kenny, you know. I do have issues with Kenny's maybe not calling out certain folks during speaking out and hey, certainly booking a sex offender on your New Japan, you know, CEO gaming crossover show, that's, you know, fucking black marks against you and all that. But there's no question in my mind that the fans that Kenny has brought in through the Golden Lover storyline specifically, wrestling in the West 
and in Japan, wherever, it is better off because of it. I also feel it was in a way a good thing they didn't lean harder into the kind of homosexual side of the Golden Lovers because like we've still got so far to go. Like I, I think of the other instances of like gay relationships being portrayed in wrestling and I think of like, was it Barry and Chuck? Whatever it was. Billy that? and Chuck. Billy and Chuck. Dove O2, so yeah. And it's just like, it's so offensive and I feel wrestling maybe can't be trusted to handle an issue like that with sensitivity mm. just yet. Yeah. So I think it was important to do kind of like the groundwork yeah. first. This was, and this was extremely important groundwork just as well as well. Like, you know, strip away the kind of <laughs> the sexuality or anything like that from it. Mm. Literally like having two characters who are nice to each other yeah. <laughs> and like, there's a sweetness there. And who are in love. And they care about yeah. each other. Like, that does not happen wrestling, like, ever. And Kenny wanting to tell long-term stories, this was one of the best ways he could ever possibly do it because he was playing with emotions that wrestling fans, there were fucking cobwebs hanging off of them. Mm. We've not had those heart muscles squeezed in a way that wasn't just old wrestler is bad now. Yeah. You know, like, this was, like, new. And it's, you know, watching this story, I mean, okay, we didn't follow along, you know, week to week when it was happening. But over the past couple of weeks when we've been watching this stuff, like, fuck me, like, my heartstrings are being pulled at constantly. Yeah. Like, when you see how they interact with each other in matches, how they look at each other, mm. it's a fucking beautiful thing, yeah. you know? And there's not enough of that in wrestling still, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely a positive thing that's happened. Yeah. And hopefully has laid the groundwork for, for more people to kind of continue that good work, you know? Absolutely. I feel... I just hope so many promotions and wrestlers are influenced by the Golden Lovers and feel empowered by it because there's so much exciting stuff you can do. Heck yeah. With that going forwards once promotions have a bit more confidence in that representation. Well, hold on a second. Because <coughs> there's this guy. <coughs> guy, I'm very common. Guy. <coughs> fucking guy coming over here doing fucking matches. Fucking <coughs> video games. Uh, you got to wrestle a nine, ten-year-old, eight, seven, four-year-old girl. Uh, this is uh, Kenny Omega famously wrestling. Uh, we've checked this out. This is a nine-year-old girl, mm. not a eight, seven, or six-year-old. Depending on how outraged the the provocative yeah. wrestling podcaster is, this kid gets exponentially younger and younger and younger. Now, this is one of, if not the first things I ever saw of Kenny Omega back in the day. Me too. And I, I think it's all very nice and full circle because the per friends whose house I went into to watch this with him because we thought it was so wild we had to check it out, I would do the Terminator knock on the door dun -dun 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 -dun, <laughs> to let him know that it was me. So, Kenny Omega did what many considered at the time, and some people are convinced to this day, because an old man from Kentucky tells them over and over and over again it's the case, career suicide. I love to get my opinions from an old man <laughs> from Kentucky. That's where I get all... I, I follow this blog, and he's just old man from Kentucky, and he tells me what to think about things. He tells me what sandwiches to eat as well. Yeah. He tells me what uh, Final Fantasy games that I shouldn't play, yeah. uh, which is all, all of them, apparently. Yeah, uh, he gives me all my cool, rude nicknames that I should give to other people. Yeah. I'm a very original person, <laughs> full of creative thought. And he's my special friend, and anytime anything happens that I think you'd be interested in, I uh, tag him on Twitter. Yeah, I love to, to tag him in things. <laughs> you imagine we do a Jim that episode Jesus Christ we're gonna get like, we'll like get half of the fucking tweets is gonna be people going at Jim Cornette yeah. to response with look what they're doing they're talking about wrestling yeah well <laughs> I'll get some material out of it I'm sure free advertising for us hey Ryback walked so Jim Cornette couldn't yep. run on this podcast 
But we watched this match, and I, you had seen it before, obviously, Kenny yeah. Omega and the little girl. This was one of the first non-WWE, I think this actually might be like the first non-WWE wrestling match I ever saw. When my friends who watched wrestling, but I didn't, heard I was getting into it, they were like, oh, you have to watch this. Kenny Omega is the guy. Now, we've had many a chat on this podcast in the past about like intergender wrestling and the kind of, I think there's a lot of um, bad faith arguments surrounding it and be like, it's it promotes domestic abuse. And this, mm. this match also gets similar vibes as well, where also people people say this match like promotes a uh, pedophilia and this match is for perverts pedophilia? And, and this match is Sorry, what th- there's mad people out there in the internet surprisingly joe and there's people who are like this match is child abuse now i remember watching this match and thinking this girl's in as much danger as macaulay culkin was in home alone mm. maybe home alone 2 lost in new york <laughs> like this is just a silly bit of business yeah my issue with it goes as far as I don't think that children should be in a wrestling ring because I know that if they're taking bumps, that that can be bad, scoliosis, developmental problems. However, almost by magic, the professional wrestler involved in this match, Kenny Omega, doesn't give the girl any bumps to take. Yeah. This is one of, if not the safest fucking wrestling match I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I hate that the cloud of any of that other shit ever came into the equation because I think it is something really fun. And again, much like the previous match we we talked about, the, the audition, you could show this to like 99% of people. They'd be like, holy shit, this is what I thought wrestling could be. Yeah. This is wild. It's a roller coaster ride in like four minutes or less. Yeah. I take more issue, less to do with the fact that he's wrestling a nine-year-old and more to do with the culture that would make a nine-year-old want to work this hard at something there is a very very peculiar kind of i don't know you and this isn't just wrestling where yeah. there is this kind of you know young star gotta hit the ground running yeah. parents want what's best for you mm. so this girl in question you found a little bit about her did you yeah her name is uh haruka yeah and this is a DDT, I believe. A stardom where... and DDT did like a crossover thing, I think. Right. Yeah. And there were a lot of little girls who did kickboxing and were interested in becoming Joshi, uh, female wrestlers in right. Japan. And one of the girls there, Haruka, she was a massive, massive wrestling fan. And basically she saw other girls in her class get to do like wrestling matches and she mm. got really upset and jealous that she didn't get to do one because she was like the biggest wrestling fan of all get me kenny omega and all these other girls were getting like scooped up from the the shoot boxing academy and becoming like professional wrestlers somehow which is insane to me that like because these are like eight-year-olds i know that's why she was eight when she was signed i think that's why there's a bit of confusion about her right age. okay okay and yeah i find that honestly that's kind of the worst part for me is that it's like god when I was eight, I was like playing in the fields with horses and like, you know, eating grass and climbing trees and pretending <laughs> to be a pirate, not like wanting to become a professional anything. But basically DDT felt bad for her. So they were like, okay, we'll, um, we'll give you an exhibition match. Kenny Omega, he's really good. He's a really safe pair of hands. He's like a specialist in intergender wrestling, especially. And he's really good at developing talent specifically. And he's helped a lot of wrestlers become better. So they were like, yeah, you, we'll pair you up with him. No pressure, Kenny, by the way. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we'll just do it for a couple of weeks and see if we can get you to a point where you could do something in the ring. So he, like, trains with her for a while. She's got a natural ability. She's really good. And he said he saw it as, like, a, 
he was realized at the time what a huge risk it was because it's not like i think people especially jim Cornette, like to think that kenny omega was like hey, 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 i'm gonna wrestle a child it's not what happened at all like yeah. they had a partnership with this training program who happened to have a lot of young kids it wasn't his call no, to wrestle the child they approached him because he was such a safe pair of hands it's like look if anyone's gonna do it we want it to be you and he was like right okay i think this could be really fun and a really good instance of like showing that wrestling is an art form and showing how it can be used to tell a story and all the stuff that Kenny, I think that helped Kenny fall back in love with wrestling when he signed with DDT is the stuff that he was excited to show in this match. But he realized at the time, he was like, if I do anything wrong, if this girl gets hurt in any way... Or even gets like a mark on her, you know? I'm fucked. Because it was in front of a sellout show. Yeah, yeah. Loads of people. And... If it went wrong, it would be career suicide for him. But he said that the reward outweighed the risk. And he was, like, really excited for what it could yeah, potentially be. Because that's probably the most, like, high-profile, don't-fuck-it-up thing you yeah. could possibly do. But also really fun. And talk about a challenge for someone like Kenny, who is so... He's such a... He loves comedy, but he also is an athletic specimen. He's, like, a physical prodigy. And a match like this, just like with the inflatable doll, it's proving that he can wrestle himself yes because he he has to move her body and yeah. his body but that, that's not to take away from her skills and no, abilities as well very gifted yeah like she ragdolls for certain yes. things she knows like how like her facial expressions are the kind of the determination that she shows and all that and like kenny plays this absurd over the top kind of version of himself and this is kind of like Kenny and Coda kind of start to diverge around this time and then him kind of becoming like Coda is just like the natural star getting bigger and better and better whereas Kenny is like kind of a little bit more dark sided and twisted yeah. and, a bit more, and you know there's points in this match where he's just doing the kind of like Hulk Hogan muscle poses and all that. Yeah, he's such a like over the top villain in this. Yeah, he is literally mustache twirling yeah. bad guy here. And like the one thing he actually does is he does like kind of a, a step up kick on her. Mm. And like when he actually does it, the crowd, like he goes from this kind of pure comedy moment to like the crowd, like just thinking this girl has been fucking killed in front yeah. of them. So like he, he takes you on that journey. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's uncomfortable at points. It's only short, but you go from like, haha, to oh shit, to oh my god. And then this kind of relief at the end where you think he's going to hit like this big move and the time limit stops. And the referee's like, you can't kill this child, please stop. <laughs> I find it very interesting, this match, because for me, it really does make me think of dance again. Yeah. If you watch it carefully, you'll see there is absolutely... I mean, there's risks in that there's en- there's always risks with yeah. physical activity of any sort. Do, Freak do accidents can happen. Cartwheels yeah. and you might break your neck somehow. But he is wrestling so safely. He's protecting her every step of the way. Any bumps she seems to take, it's just him doing it. Like, not to say, again, she has a lot of skill. That's why this is such a good match. But he is completely safe with her i do think there's probably a lot of folks who are just like nervous parents or whatever and they see something like that and it triggers some sort of like a i don't know primordial like protect the child type of response in them absolutely get that because i I I do think there are people who have issues with this that it's all in bad faith you know i don't think everyone's just doing that just to kind of get a sly dig at some there are people who are like oh my god because you know they're scared exactly i would ask people in those instances to examine if they'd feel the same way about a child playing other sports like rugby for instance (laughs) fucking hell which is actually a lot probably a lot more dangerous than this particular match i'm not going to say more dangerous than pro wrestling in general that's a different subject but yeah i feel we are very overprotective of children especially in the west and 
I think it's about like eliminating as many risks as possible. If you were, I don't think this is something you should be doing, let's just say. I would not want my child to do no, this. But, but that's more of the culture around the work ethic than the spots. The girl, this was her dream come true. This is all she wanted in life. There you go. She, this like made her so happy. She did not be, kind of pursue wrestling full time after that, I don't think. She did, I think, 19 matches in total yeah. over a period of about eight months. And then she retired to follow, like, focus on her schoolwork, which again is like a, a good and important thing they take quite seriously, especially mm. in Japan, which I think is important for people following any kind of physical yeah. career to get their education yeah. done first. Fair, fair. She's, I think she's kind of gone into her own cone of privacy because there's not really <laughs> much information about her now. I know in 2015, Kenny got a letter from her oh, saying really? that she wanted a rematch. <laughs> she would have been 13 years old at that time. So I did the maths. I believe she'd be 21 now. Okay. Which, I mean, if you're going to start a wrestling career, that's a pretty good age to <laughs> give it a shot. But yeah, who knows what she actually wants to do now. So as Kenny is toiling away as a junior heavyweight, his mirror image, his best pal and good friend Kota Ibushi starts racking up impressive wins he signs to new japan he becomes a heavyweight and that's something that's really cool i found from doing this uh this research is that natural progression in japan where they have that kind of you're the junior heavyweight and then if you get to kind of a big enough level you become the heavyweight and you start taking on the bigger the badder you know i kind of feel like that's something that wwe had in its hand with that nxt system and kind of it's become a bit ill-defined just because you're a star there it means nothing really once you get to the main roster you kind of start over whereas like kota being at the heavyweight rank now it's like okay he is officially like on paper objectively kenny he's better than you Mm -hmm. and kenny is like becoming a little bit more wiry and weird and kind of a little bit more unhinged we watched one of his matches with fergal devon from around this time and he is this kind of almost desperate character where he's not quite cheating but he is being like kind of more risky, more kind of, I don't know, like chaotic, I guess, for lack mm. of a better term. I always saw that as him seeing the heights that Kota was reaching and wanting that for himself and kind of trying to get that in kayfabe by any means necessary. Yes, trying to channel this energy yeah. that isn't actually there in him. I you want know? to be him. It's, it's pure envy. And I think it's really cool because, you know, if you just watch the matches in isolation, it's like, hey, here's this guy and he's fucking a bit wild or whatever. But if you're following that story, it's like, He's like this because of this other thing. And that's Mm. the best type of long-term storytelling, I think. The one where if you're there for the ride, awesome. You're going to get the extra bits. If you've not been there for the ride, you can still enjoy it for what it is. Mm. Truly Kenny Omega, the Andor of the pro wrestling world. (laughs) But around this time as well, like he does face off with Kota a couple of times. And he is on the losing end every single time. Almost definitively saying, hey, Kota is better than you. You're Mm. no longer these like kind of mirror images he is now you're gonna be in his shadow yeah i found out that kota actually kicked out of the one winged angel kenny's <gasps> insanely protected no finisher move yeah so kota actually not got you know, not fought on the rope or anything as in fully kicked out of wow. it the only other person to ever kick out of the one winged angel is kenny omega himself after will osprey <laughs> gave it to him and he kicked out at one brother yeah one thing I really respect about Kenny and his love of the art form and storytelling is that he doesn't feel the need to win. Like his, in terms yeah. of like his character's story, he he understands that if you just win all the time, like Goldberg or whoever, 
it's it's going to be short term. It, yeah. it can't be sustainable forever. Not everyone can be the Undertaker. And even his match against the inflatable doll, whose name I can't remember, apparently he always wanted his aim in those matches was to make it seem like the inflatable doll was going to win. <laughs> he's got he's his number. Even, like... yeah, he's putting over the doll. But like even when he was world champion in AEW. If you got into the weeds of what the character was about, it's like Kenny Omega, the wrestling character, good guy or bad guy, one of the main things that drives him is self-doubt, anxiety, not thinking he's good enough, having people tell him you should be better or you know, having people he loves to compare himself to. Mm. And it's nice to have a wrestling character who has that much thought that goes in the full long way. Yeah. You know, you want to bring up like kind of a more classic wrestling character, like a macho man or whatever it was. There are points where kind of, yeah, macho man's sudden dramatic shift in character, like when yeah. he became the macho king, it makes sense. But feels like Kenny's one of the few people where like from when he's wrestling the, literally in the dirt in Winnipeg mm. to when he's main eventing in you know big sold out yeah. shows in Japan he's and in America got a theme there is and, and it's not many wrestlers but I'd say all the best wrestlers do have a theme to their mm. career and like you know there are times where you know the, the classic adage is if a wrestler is a heel he's got to feel like he's right and he's justified yeah. and that's you know that's a great kind of standard I think to have Rest, you know, bad guys, any villain thinks they're in the right. They're doing it for a reason. But Kenny, what's so compelling about him as a bad guy, this is around the times well where he joins up with the villainous Bullet Club in New Japan. He's a bad guy not because he thinks he's right. He's a bad guy because he's scared yeah. of not being good enough. Yeah, he joins the Bullet Club in the hopes that he will get better so he can reach the heights of Kota Ibushi. And I think it's so cool that, like, you know, we 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 watch the the the, the clip where he, he joins the Bullet Club or whatever, and he's the most over the top. Like he comes out of a special, they got a special Bullet Club tea towel they've draped over him, and then he comes out. And he's got his cool look and his cool jacket, and his cool new pose. And he's got like the toothpick and the big shiny glasses, the dyed black hair. You fools! And it's so funny because like for me when I first saw that, I was like, this is so over the top. It's so silly. He is literally like. The baddie reveal in a fucking silly anime from the 70s or whatever. Yeah. But like when you realize it's like he's doing this because he's not actually this guy. Mm. He's in kayfabe. He's pretending to be this super tough badass. I have no heart. I'm the cleaner now. And it's cool because it's like, yeah, on the surface, it's kind of silly and over the top. But the reason there is a reason behind that, even that Mm -hmm. it's not just he's having fun. He's doing that. Yeah, because it's fun. But also because narratively. Yeah. It makes sense. He's trying it's, to make himself into something he's yeah, not. It's a facade, which I think is a very interesting theme as a professional wrestler. Yes. Where your whole character alone is a facade of you, but this is a facade of his character. There's layers to it. Yeah. Should you care to delve into them? Mm. And I think this is cool because you know, he joins the Bullet Club, the idea of like, I'm going to become the best I can in the junior division. And he does. He starts racking up wins. He starts getting championships. You were telling me about like the whole idea of the cleaner moniker. I absolutely love this. It's so funny. So when they gave him the character of the cleaner and they pitched it to him, they're like, right, you're going to be like a hitman, like silent and deadly. You're going to be like the guy in The Professional. I don't know, I've not seen that movie, but apparently he's like very quiet and yeah. kills people. Well, you know Hitman, right, Joe? Right, I know, I know Agent 47, obviously. So yeah, the idea was he was supposed to be like a proper scary, silent character, kind of inspired by the ringmaster, <laughs> you know, Steve Austin, the original character before he came, became Stone Cold. And Kenny was like, yeah, 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 that's good. That's good. Um, I'm not going to be like that serious though. And he just like started to make it his own thing and be 
Kenny, like a bit silly. So he'd bring in like cleaning stuff. He'd lean into the cleaner side of stuff and bring in like brooms and mops into his matches. And... It's funny because, you know, I think back to from his original run in AEW when he became the champion. And you and I were a bit kind of like, oh, he's got like, all these kind of babes coming out now with, with brooms and stuff like that. And yeah. at the time, I think we were kind of rolling our eyes a little bit at it. But like knowing now, mm-hmm. the babes with the brooms were there because it's kind of like in kayfabe. It's like, hey, champ, you're the cleaner. Yeah. Remember remember how good you are? Look, we got your special babes mm-hmm. with, with brooms to remind you how good you are. Yeah. You're the best. And like the idea of this guy where he's like, yeah, I am. I am really good. I'm really awesome. But and also, that, oh man, that's a cool story. The idea of like... That being the expectation put on him, I think is a really interesting note when you look back at the Golden Lovers and his bisexuality, because it's almost like, yeah, the expectation is you have the babes, right? You're a, you're a superstar. Of course you have the babes. <laughs> yeah, obviously, Forget right? about that little twink that you were in love with. You know, that was just a phase. Babes. Yeah? <laughs> babes. Bullet club, babes, beers, yeah. buddies. Yeah. Guns. Guns. Yeah. Cool gun hair. <laughs> Oh, we have to mention his hair. Yeah, changes throughout the career. Obviously, naturally blonde during the run of the Golden Lovers. You know, you'd have the kind of the, the light green trunks and that bright blonde hair. Yeah, the golden you know. locks. Yeah. And then when he joins the Bullet Club, he starts to dye it sort of a horrible artificial black colour. And our friend Noah, who helped so much with the research for this episode. Thank you so much. Anyone who's helped me understand this character as well as I do now, I really appreciate it. So Mm -hmm. thank you, Noah. But Noah has written extensively about Japanese wrestling, but specifically about Kenny Omega and how he tells a story with his hair. And it's on our website. I will include it in the recommended section of this page. Great read. And it's a really great read about like, yeah, just how he used his hair to tell the story of his character's journey and how he used the black color to show the, the facade of the cleaner and the very artificial black like you yeah. know because i remember looking at when he did it similarly in aw when he became champion he had the dark black hair with the blue streak it i'm like shit. it looks shit but it's like it's kind of part of the yeah. you know and there, there are many times where i feel like he is telling a story almost in spite of the natural yeah. way to go but it makes perfect sense it does hair because it's like yeah it looks shit it doesn't look like it should be on him because it's not part of him it's not who he is yeah and then as his story progressed through with the bullet club he started getting little touches of blonde coming back in the as heart's he, coming back as he it. would like see kota abushi from across the ring or whatever it's just touches like that i think is what makes fans really connect with a wrestler a moment that happened around this time that was so fucking striking in this story like non-verbal as powerful as like any kick-ass promo straight from the heart it's when Kota Bushi challenges AJ for the world title in in New Japan and Kenny's part of the Bullet Club you know and AJ's the leader so all the Bullet Club are all kind of you know surrounding the ring all the goons are all there and Kenny's like, hey, you know, got to do your part, you know, help help out the team. And he he doesn't even interfere. He just stands up in the apron, kind of like, mm, you know, this is the you know the real Kenny. Kind of peeks through for a little bit, the kind of nervous guy who's just moved to Japan to meet this cool guy who he thinks is a really awesome wrestler and wants to be his his golden lover. And just that moment costs Kota the match, mm. and like just the heartbreak afterwards. Like there have been loads of moments like that where he's he's trying to do something similar in his story with Hangman Page and with the Elite in AEW. And for me, those are like the best types of stories. The mm. one where the emo- it doesn't matter what language you speak, you can tell just from the emotions there. Like that is the you know performance in its purest form, as far as I'm concerned. It's also 
in hindsight, been so influential on the industry. Oh yeah, Roman Reigns. Exactly. Did, yeah. Bloodline. Come on. Oh my god, all that stuff with Sammy and Kevin. The difference is they have to talk about it yeah. quite extensively. Hey, I fucking love that, but like, you but know, it comes from there. The that, Golden Lovers did it first. That, that is definitely like we we look at this kind of time period where like you know that shift almost in mm-hmm. how stories are being told and we've seen the dribble through you know from from the east to the west of you know not just we, we talked about you know, in the shinsuke episode how the style has changed in america because of what was happening in japan and i think not just the style of wrestling the expectation of the types of moves the strikes the false finishes but now as well you're seeing that the melodrama the story which is ultimately what wrestling's meant to be about mm-hmm. yeah they're cool moves i just think it's really funny that yeah, the young bucks get it probably more so, but you know Kenny Omega, who some people will be like, oh, just a guy who does a bunch of flippy moves. Man, yeah. this dude has put so much thought into his story, yeah. and it makes you actually accidentally forget it sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm as guilty as the next person of like not seeing the story through the flips and the 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 spectacular story, you know, the spectacular offense in a match. But man, he is to a, to a fault overthought the story every step of the way it's just so consistent and it's a perfect example of show don't tell because yeah you don't need to cut lengthy promos about you know betraying your boyfriend when you can communicate all of that with with a a glance and then a finish that's perfect so we decided to take a look at one of kenny's matches around this period where he is on the rise in the bullet club and this is from 2017 kenny omega taking on or good friend Ishii, who we've had a lot of fun anytime he's shown up on our pay-per-view I reviews. Love this man. What is it about first we describe the man and tell me what is your love about him? He is the definition of stout. <laughs> he's like a tree stump. He's so sturdy and solid and He's got the thickest neck. He's like Taz, but like a hundred times better. Joe. I'm sorry, but I, I stand by that. Ishii's not, is, is, is Ishii a dad? Someone just check this for me. I don't know. <laughs> he's allowed to not be a dad. It's fine. But yeah, he's just, he has that kind of like solid wrestling style of like hard hitting, but also statuesque, even though he's not big. Like mm. he's, he's stout, but he's not tall by any means. He's a, he's a little guy. But there's something about the way he performs. He manages to be really kind of like stoic, but also really lovable. Mm. I don't know how he does it because I haven't actually ever seen him. And I'm sure he cuts promos, but I've never seen him cut a promo. I don't know what he talks about, but he manages to tell all this just by his wrestling style. Yeah, he's got one of these guys who's got this perfect combination of, you know, he's physically imposing and you, you get that immediately. You know, even with a an opponent one-tenth as skilled as Kenny Omega, you can see his mass, his weight, his size, his kind of, his groundedness or whatever. But when it comes to him actually selling and making that comeback and all that, you don't associate the kind of the fire and the sell and the kind of the, the little glimpses of weakness with someone who's so fucking brick shithouse style. Yeah. But he gives you just enough glimpse in those matches. And I think the reason we pick this is a, it's Kenny Omega kind of you're know, fully formed. We're not kind of developing. This is this is Kenny Omega, the best bout machine. But also, we have an irresistible force against an extremely movable object. Did you write that as well? Yeah. <laughs> in my notes, unstoppable force versus a movable object. This is definitely what this is because yeah. yeah, Kenny Omega he throws everything at Ishii, but he's so sturdy on his feet. It's so hard to knock him down. I love the weird little heel mannerisms that Kenny has here. I actually think from watching all this stuff, I kind of like 
tragic he's sort of pretending but he's not heel Kenny to like mm. good guy hey he's awesome we all love him even though that's obviously a pure form of Kenny I meant to like that more but stuff like when he gouges Ishii's eyes and he wipes his hands on the referee and stuff <laughs> like that when he does a big chop on Ishii and the crowd go oh oh where they're kind of like you did it but you've done it now like you know <laughs> the little moments like that are fantastic and his speed here mm. absolutely breathtaking because we're so used to in wrestling seeing fast flippy wrestlers with other fast flippy wrestlers but this is the stuff that is extremely my shit it's like the two different styles clashing kenny has to like work so hard to like run the ropes and get momentum up but he's not against an opponent who is matching that level of momentum he's he keeps stopping him in his tracks his normal attacks don't work on ishii well i think it's so cool as well about it's not just that speed, but when we're talking about those kind of your know, frame by frame character movements, like even if you like people are kind of oh this over the top silly movements and all that, like at, at the very least, if we could all get on the same page and respect the fucking game here of when this guy reverses an Irish whip, but he's been thrown against the ropes, he doesn't just turn around, he drops to one fucking knee, mm. pops the other knee up, ducks his head, throws the person up jumps off of one leg up onto his feet does the little kind of luigi flutter then points then turns around all of this in the time it takes a normal wrestler to turn around that's like there is lashings of work there i feel a lot of wrestlers especially like old school wrestlers would look at that and go what a waste of energy yeah i get that but it's not though it's part of the performance that's why i want to see him though yeah you know and and this is something that's become very apparent now in this era where like there are a million wrestlers it feels like now who are extremely athletic extremely talented but it's these little fine touches that make him somehow stand like just a little peak above a lot of his compatriots who i'd argue maybe i prefer them as actual all-round wrestlers but in terms of athleticism and what he's actually capable of jesus christ i don't think he has many peers if any i think will osprey in terms of you know physicality what he can do maybe but will osprey's 10 years younger than kenny omega and he's already oh. having to change his game and yeah. alter it and tweak it because he can't do some of the things that he used to be able to i feel like kenny has managed to pull a spell on me where i feel he can do anything and that's weird when i know that he's had injuries and he has to mm. slow down like there's there are times in this match and often when i'm watching kenny stuff where normally if a wrestler's doing that i'm like yeah right you're not gonna you're just pretending mm. to but when he's like, no, actually, I'm going to powerbomb Ishii off the top rope. This extremely large square man. Yeah, yeah I'm going to do it. And like you're like, no, no, no. And then he just does one little thing where he's like, slightly slips when he's trying mm-hmm. to do it. Like, oh, no, he, he is. Because he wouldn't slightly slip if he wasn't actually trying to do it. Yeah. Like, I felt like, I don't know. I felt like my layers of wrestling cynicism were being peeled away like an onion while watching all these Kenny Omega matches and I feel all the better a wrestling fan for us I just have to mention my favourite move in this match was when Kenny did a DDT to Ishii yes! and the way he sold it Jesus Christ literally the best selling of all time in my opinion <laughs> the legs kind of went out yeah. almost yeah so good I love that Kenny as well like he kind of feels his path to victory towards the end is in targeting the impenetrable square head of Ishii <laughs> <laughs> and like there's certain things as well like kind of the, the struggle into moves mm. i feel like when people are doing this blanket like oh modern rest and they just kind of it's getting into the next spot and getting into the next move feels and all almost that. too cooperative but like there's a fight yeah like that wood-winged angel we've watched so many kenny matches that we don't even talked about on this episode but 
every match it feels like we've seen a new way that someone has struggled out of that mm-hmm. like and it's a kind of a precarious he gets you up on the shoulders grabs the back it, of the head one leg tucked under yeah as well, like a flamingo it it's the exact type of move where if i saw that in the 90s or whatever it'd be like okay you got my leg yeah yeah okay you ready you ready yeah Three, two, two one, one. <laughs> a little tap on the shoulder do it now whereas this is like it feels like a fight in a move mm. that is straight out of a video game and should not feel like a fight or a struggle at all you i feel know? part of that is down to ishii though oh yeah and his style because he is nasty in this match there's a moment where he chops kenny in the throat <laughs> Kenny sells it perfectly. He literally like is gagging and struggling to breathe, like wheezing and stuff. His selling, like I've I've come to appreciate it so mm. so much from watching these matches. Like there is, you know, all the thought that goes into the movements seems to also come through in the selling as well. You but, know, and yet I don't know. I feel it's slightly dialed back in a really good way because I feel with his wrestling style. A lot of people would assume that his selling would be very over the top, but it's not actually. It's not distracting or anything. No, like that, not at all. It, his selling isn't silly. The the moment in the match where Ishii's going to get Kenny up on his shoulders, mm. but his arms are way down yeah, he his does side it without his hands. He deadlifts Kenny, who, yep. by the way, every time we saw him as we were we traveling forward in time. He got bigger. Oh, yeah. Significantly. He's not as big as he is now, but he's fucking, he's a tank here. And he just with his neck. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, all those head drop suplexes that they're doing kind of make a little bit more sense. Because these guys, they train the neck, brother. Let me tell you, they're protecting against that. But there's new counters each time, it feels like. And that lariat that Kenny runs into towards the end... Uh, you're saying it reminds you of Rikishi when he used to take the old... Uh... It made me want to see Rikishi <laughs> get that move. Get, get a big old Japanese clothesline, yeah. baby. So we go for the Woodwinged Angel, but no, instead, Kenny does a move, which I've seen wrestlers incredulously demand how in fucking hell he does it, where he'll drop them off his shoulders, catch them midair by their waist into like a German suplex position, hold them, and then suplex them. Mm. It is kind of defying physical uh, belief it feels like i feel as well with an opponent like ishii that would actually be a lot harder yeah because he's shorter and he's got a lower center of gravity like if you did it to someone really tall like i don't know jbl or whatever their own height and weight would kind of like keep the momentum going yeah but with ishii you have to really yeah m- move him i love as well that kenny like with this move the woodwinged angel fabulous final fantasy reference by the way but he is so sure this moves power because, you know, no one kicks out of it, mm-hmm. you know, except, except one his for, lover. Yeah. Except his lover. <laughs> so when he's going for that move, like, and like towards the end, he's, he keeps going for it, keeps going for it, keeps going for it. And in an era where we're actually used to seeing like people just hit their finisher over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Mm. Like, I don't know how many spears I saw at Roman Reigns' match, you know, yeah. you know, you get a lot of them. Just him be like, this is it. This is the one shot kill. But I don't know how you feel about there being a finisher that is like almost a guaranteed victory. Does that kind of play with the emotions of it or your enjoyment? I personally don't love it because for me, it's like a spoiler. It's like as soon as he hits it, that's it. Match is done. I don't yeah. need to look at the pin. Who cares? <laughs> I kind of love, though, that Kota is the only one who's ever kicked out because in my mind, I'm like, oh, maybe when they were hanging out one time, like, Kenny was like, here, I'm going to show you. Oh, this is how you... This is yeah. how it works. This is how you kick it out. And then he like used it against him. So we get the brain buster from Ishii after a series of counters. Each and every one of them made me pop. Ishii wins this fucking spectacular match and my... My jaw was on the floor. I, I don't think this was literally like on a list of like kind of the best Kenny Omega matches of all, all, all time, but it just showed you the kind of 
the standard that is expected from a Kenny Omega match at that point in time mm. and going forward. And that's got a way on a man, like, because that's, uh, that's some serious goddamn... That's some serious goddamn pressure right there, I think. I'm interested to know what you thought of it in terms of your star rating. Mm. How did you get on with Ishii versus Kenny Omega at the New Japan Cup in 2017? I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I, I gave it four stars out of five. I, nice. It was nearly perfect. There's nothing really about it that was like, oh, that took away from it and made it not a perfect match. It's just, you know taste like <laughs> i loved this match it was really good i think you could argue it's a perfect match it is very very fantastic stuff indeed so kenny continues his ascent in the bullet club deposing aj styles to become the leader of the group himself and this is around the time where they start to form up a kind of a subgroup within the bullet club called the elite that has kenny omega the young bucks Cody Rhodes is in there at one point, and also Mari Skrull's in there at one point. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, we didn't do much watching of Being the Elite, I should mm. point out at this time as well, because I figured we were having a lot of fun with Kenny, and why spoil that? Yeah. <laughs> All I can say is, I don't think the humour of mid-2010s Being the Elite will probably stand up to much scrutiny in the modern time, mainly because... It's a bit of a rogues gallery in terms of who shows up on those shows. Yeah. And I find the humour at that, at the best of times, a bit puerile now. And I just know going back then, there's going to be a lot of dog shit, I think. But I think it should be pointed out, there are a lot of pieces that helped AEW as a company form. And the popularity of being the elite and the fact that Kenny and the books were able to kind of parlay their success in Japan across the pond with this very popular show on youtube you know that is again in that do-it-yourself spirit and i think that should be commended was that being the elite was that going on before AEW then yes that's kind of what led to AEW in many respects you know but they would you know you know talk about their travels around the world and you know they would do little skits Mm. ryan nemeth wasn't in it then joe so it probably probably wasn't for you you know joe's joe's one of the people who like i love season 12 of the office you know later on you know when ryan nemeth came into it (laughs) probably was there you know who knows probably So, the slight teases and glimpses of a potential showdown with Kota Ibushi continue to come around this time as well. You have Kenny entering the G1, the Elite Tournament, for the tip-top best talent in New Japan. And Kenny makes history by becoming the first foreigner to ever win that their tournament. And it does lead to, though, eventually, his kind of relationship with the Elite and his relationship with Kota starts to come under strain with the relationship with the Bullet Club because Cody Rhodes spots essentially that there might be a bit of a weakness there for the leader of the Bullet Club. And the kind of the thing with the Bullet Club, Joe, is that the leaders keep kind of killing each other to become the next leader, etc, etc, etc. So Kota Ibushi, while in the midst of a heinous attack from Cody Rhodes, it looks like he's about to be absolutely brutalized with a chair. We have Kenny Omega finally showing his true, true colors and deciding that he's going to side instead with his best pal, his golden lover, Kota Ibushi, in an extremely sweet moment. Yeah. You know, a lot of, again, another extremely emotional moment that doesn't need verbiage, doesn't need words. He simply mm. wants to stop his friend getting attacked, and he gets brutalized, and the two of them kind of together is, you know, it's what's right in the world, yeah. and their back is one, you know? It's so sweet, the visual of them embracing for the first time after all these years. They're all beat up. They're all beat up, and they're crying, and there's like, 
golden confetti falling from the sky. It's so romantic. And it was very, very beautiful to see them together again at last. And I figured, you know, seeing them reunited, it was a good time as any to watch a Golden Lovers tag team match. And the Golden Lovers versus the Young Bucks at Strong Style Evolved 2018. I'm not going to lie, Joe. I had expectations that this might be the silliest, crazy, most over-the-top tag match in existence. I was very excited for this because, yeah, I love... I love well-thought-out tag team moves, and the Bucks are so good at that. Yeah. But I've always heard that Kenny and Kota as the Golden Lovers had like that amazing synchronicity that the, the Young Bucks have as well. There's a kind of a, like we were saying before, the kind of the, the with, when you're opponents, it works really well, the yeah. kind of the, the shared brain, but when you're tag partners as well. Yeah, it's even better. Yeah, so I thought this was going to be a very interesting compare and contrast. Big shout out to Matt Jackson wearing a giant weight belt with the word Matt written on it in capital letters. Very helpful. I wish they'd still do that and I wish they'd both wear one. Just do what I do and refer to them as Young Bucks Sideburns and Young Bucks Gambling Addiction. That's, you know, <laughs> like you have FTR family and FTR gun. Right. Now you can tell them apart. Easy peasy. From my vantage point, I think that the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega is probably one of the most fraught friendships in the history of professional wrestling. Because, mm. like, They've been the best of friends and then the worst of enemies and then agonized kind of frenemies. Yeah. And then it happened in Japan and it happened all over again in AEW like twice, it feels like. Yeah. And they've been on the same side as good guys and on the same side as bad guys. And one guy is good and the other guys are bad. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I don't like it. I feel there is a point and I think it happens with the elite when the desire for that long-term storytelling and also the necessity in AEW and American weekly television, hey, we're going to have some more stories here, it becomes a bit, con not convoluted, but just overwrought, I guess. I just don't think it's the Young Bucks' greatest strength. Is there storytelling? I don't know if they even care about stories. I mean, I, I'm sure they do. do but they? I, I would say that the kind of the long-term storytelling, I feel, is more of a calling card of Kenny that they happen to kind of be part of whereas if I'm seeing a Young Bucks match I don't necessarily want to care about the layers of the story and their history and them as individuals mm. I want to see the cool tag team moves go bang yeah. whereas Kenny I want the cool moves go bang yes but I also want where's this Kenny Omega journey going yeah. now I feel like he but maybe it's easier as a solo star to do that than as a tag star I did see a lot of tweets to the effect of they're best kept apart, these guys. I know they love each other. What, Kenny and the Young Bucks? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Bad influence. And I don't even mention Hangman Adam Page in there as well, and Adam Cole. Like, there's all this kind of like, you know, shared friendship, I not think friends, enemies, now, not enemies. I really liked Kenny with Hangman. I thought that was a really good dynamic. Because they had that story of like, you're yeah. the young boy of the group. You're not you're not quite at our elite level. Yeah, kind and of you're, let you in by accident almost. You're holding yourself back and yeah. stuff like that. But I just don't get any of that with the Young Bucks. And I think they're fantastic fantastic wrestlers i just don't think i think it's perfectly fine for some wrestlers to not be involved in big stories but don't i think everyone should be i think they're more meant to be here almost as like a reflection of kenny and i guess kota's journey as well because they are you know they're the elite and they're part of the bullet club mm. and kenny kind of showing more allegiance to his friends and his golden lover kota bushi as opposed to the bond of you know of these you know the guys hey we're we're all super best good christian boys together you know we're meant to yeah. we're meant to be this solid unit are they meant to be good christian boys at this point though i kind of thought they were bad yeah guys. let's see the the, the, the the young books are, are definitely heel at this point yeah. in time so it's just i feel like it's still good but it doesn't pop like some of the other ones do no. because yeah it's more kind of like nebulous 
you're turning on the faction. Mm. I don't feel as emotionally invested. Like, oh no, the guys in the Bullet Club are disappointed. Yeah, that's less endearing to me than your fucking lovers or your 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 best friend or whatever it is. But still excited to see an extremely ridiculous, over the top yeah. tag team match. And let me tell you, seeing Kota Ibushi at the peak of his powers. Jesus Christ, this man is from another universe. Never never mind so, planet. So cool. I find it very interesting how Kota Ibushi, he is his, his ringer is so sparkly and um it's just beautiful. Like I, I love his ringer, it's probably one of my favourites. But oftentimes in, in Japan, wrestlers as they get more um like high achieving they get more ostentatious in their presentation. And I find it very interesting that Kota Ibushi still just wrestles in like pants and shin guards and stuff. It's very basic. Yeah, there's a humbleness there. He's not like Okada yeah. or whatever it is where it's like covered in ornate yeah, talismans and, and shit yeah. like that. Yeah, I think there is something quite understated about him. But what I love most about Kota is just like how hard he hits in this match. Like the first kick he does on Matt Jackson, Matt literally screams. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that set up kind of where we were going here. But watching them work together as a unit, the Golden Lovers, which is really my focus when I was watching this match, there was something so cool about seeing their synchronicity on this other level because they have these like little glances at each other. Like they kind of like, you know, come over here. Or like, and that's the case where it's like, hey, I've done a move and you're there immediately to do the next move yeah. like the Young Bucks are. Instead, it's like, I've done a move and look, are you here? Look, I've got him here. And, you know, like mm. providing opportunities for each other. I can't remember there was another episode we did where a tag team did that. I keep thinking it's the shield, but it can't have been. That was too long ago. But that's definitely something I've noticed in certain other tag teams I really like. That non-verbal communication of like just showing that they're both engaged and want to involve the other person. Yeah, I do like as well that unlike the Young Bucks, they just kind of look at each other all the time. Like, are you okay? Like yeah, that, they're that, checking in. Yeah, tag wrestlers never do that. Yeah. Like, I don't think Bubba Ray Dudley ever gave a shit. No. What Diva, he's like, you, you're there to do the move. That's all I care about. Maybe like. I don't want to do tables this time. <laughs> huh? You ever think about that? Maybe I want to do Always with the tables, this guy. It's ridiculous. It. The extra moonsaults that they do when they're like, you know, we have Kenny's You Can't Escape Me move where he rolls him into the, the corner and he does a moonsault and then Coda's over him doing another moonsault as well. There were a few little moments of slight miscommunication, were, however. It's such a shame, because the coolest move in this match is... I don't even know how really to describe it, but it's a series of moves with Kenny and Kota kind of taking it in turns and doing moves to the box. And they're both about to sync up at the end and do like a double flip, but they just... They're too close to each other yeah. and they knock heads and it's... Oh, it's so disappointing. Also, it's extremely fucking sore as it's well. It's very like. sore, yeah. But I think the interesting thing about this match is as it progresses, a couple of things happen. Firstly, there's a kind of an ennui that sets in with Kenny, who's all like fired up at the start, but realizes that being the shit out of his best friends with his lover is not as fun as he thought it might be in the first yeah, instance. There's a moment where Kota starts like kicking one of the young bucks like a lot and Kenny like stops him from going like too far. Yeah, and there's like moments as well where like Matt, for instance, he's like standing across the ring from Kenny about to lock up and then he'll see like Kota is prone over in the corner and he'll go over and he'll yeah. hit him instead to inflict psychic damage mm-hmm. as opposed to physical. There's one moment where Kenny gets kicked by one of the bucks and feathers just fly off him which I thought was very <laughs> symbolic. I liked that a lot. Yeah, I loved Kenny's gear here. It was like yeah. very much like he went back you know, to the old style. Like, mm-hmm. And I, again, you mentioned about telling the story with the hair in that article that Noah wrote. He definitely tells the story with his ring gear as well. Yeah, he's a bit more stripped back here, but 
still evolved. Yeah, he is definitely still his his best self, I guess, but he's more a true version of who he is. There's a point where the Golden Lovers do a stalling double superplex on the top rope, and, like, that feels like it's almost impossible because there shouldn't be enough room for them all up there. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's literally, like, you can see Kota steadies all three of them with his, like, tippy toes in the corner there. Just to make sure we're all okay, we're all... it's a, it's a next level, I think, is mm. what it is. I do love them like doing the dive off the top together at the same time as well. Yeah. And like when they do dives, the like, kind of X slash dive where they both dive at the same time to opposite ends of They're the ring. So in sync, it's amazing. Really, really cool. The commentary in this match is so good. We watched it with the Japanese commentary, I should yeah. say. Yeah. And obviously, I don't understand what they're saying really, other than like cool or what. Yeah, or I get wow. what. I know that. Like. <laughs> But I loved how, like, grunty and groany they were. Yeah. they were proper, like, sounds on commentary. We need more of that. Love it. There's a fabulous moment where Kenny is about to do the V-trigger, his running knee strike, which is a thing of absolute beauty, by the way. But I love the fact that there's kind of various levels to it. There's the kind of the regular one, then there's the one where he almost like, comes through the fucking television screen at you because the camera shakes and all that. Mm. But like he's gonna do it to Matt and he kinda he's not really that into it and Kota like st- like starts firing him up like you have to do it. You have to like you know, really like brings this passion back into it. But Nick breaks up the three count, but then we get the golden trigger and that's it baby. The young bucks cannot overcome the shining power of Kenny and Kota's synchronicity and their love for one another. I mean, I love this match, but I do realize at this point, having watched many years of it now in both AEW and WWE, that if I had my way, I probably just want all wrestlers to be in the ring crying all the time. (laughs) And I do think there is an upper limit and I was reaching it here. Oh no, I loved it here. I thought Kota and Kenny, their selling here was so perfect. They both looked so exhausted Mm. and... I know that they're selling it because I've seen Kenny do hour-long matches where he doesn't break a sweat, but like he's like sweat acting. Yeah, he's shook like. <laughs> they're you both know? yeah, they're both like vibrating and they look like so beaten up. It's great. I, the one thing I really did not like though was the moment where Kenny puts Matt. He's about to do the one-winged angel to him. Mm-hmm. And he like can't do it because they were friends. Yeah, he keeps holding him up there. I love that. I love that but moment. That I liked. What I didn't like was Matt making him do it. Oh yeah, he's like kill me. <laughs> only like minutes before, Matt was attacking him with his weight belt. Yeah. So which is it? You can't. I just that's the stuff that makes me think the young bucks don't get storytelling. In fairness, I think you can just lay the bits of the match you don't like at the feet of. Of certain, I think that's that's a joint decision mm, there. I don't know. But I think when you're dealing with that kind of, how we're going to use the weight belt on you because we're nasty heels, but also I'm going to make you do your finisher on me that is impossible to kick out. When of. you're trying to tell like kind of an emotional journey in a match where you have to be hitting each other all the time, mm-hmm. like it is, it's kind of like because you know there's a point in the match where like you know he punches him and Matt's like you're going to punch me, Kenny. Like yeah, he's going to do it probably three hundred yeah. more times before the match is it's over. A wrestling match. Not sure if you've heard of that before but i think that definitely as an art form the 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 melodrama the kind of the the anguish playing out through the wrestling match definitely one of my favorite things i just say in terms of it it was being overplayed is like because we'd watched so many extremely emotional matches back to back to back at Mm. this point that i was almost burning myself out and there's a lot to be said i think about if you're not on that journey that maybe you can't go back and get the same 
experience. Oh yeah, it'll never be the same. But I feel that's the case for a lot of wrestling. It's, yeah. And that's what maybe distinguishes those very rare moments, like say at Austin versus Brett, where hey, if you've been on the journey, it actually probably sucks the match more than it's yeah. great because what happens in the ring is kind of perfect, but the journey maybe clouds it. But this is definitely a match where I feel like there's a there's layers of catharsis that are released throughout this match that if you had been on that every beat of the way, watching your being the elites and watching all the, the New Japan shows, that it fucking hit you hard. Mm. And yeah, there's a reason why they're all fucking bawling crying because they're being hit hard with it. That emotion... You know, Kenny says over and over those are real emotions that he's he's putting on the line in the ring, and yeah. I think that's again quite a, quite a vulnerable thing to do. Mm-hmm. Not many people be lying up to lay their heart and soul out bare for everyone to see in a wrestling match. It's what makes him such an excellent performer, and I think it's one of the best things about modern wrestling. Really, is that I feel we're okay with this. More now. performers are willing to show their vulnerable side, mm. and like I think after a match, you're so full of adrenaline. You do get emotional. Hell like, yeah. Fuck, even after we do like the London Podcast Festival, sometimes I'm like, oh, I might need to have a little cry. Not because I'm sad. I've just, the adrenaline. Yeah, just no, like, absolutely. Oh, I need this energy to go somewhere. And I think in the past, wrestlers would ignore that feeling and Give bury, me that it, cocaine. bury it deep inside <laughs> upon layers of cocaine. And now they're more like, no, I can use this to like get myself over or tell a story. And it's just, it's great. And it's much healthier. And I think it's fantastic for the audience as well yeah. to watch that and be like oh hey it's okay to cry yeah and I, th- I think it's you know if you ask me like you know i'm very ignorant about new japan you know i still consider myself ignorant about new japan and and the style in japan in general but certainly i think a misconception that i and a lot of fans who know of it but haven't watched it in depth might think is that oh it's, it's all super serious and you know the the kind of the the emotional side of it doesn't play into it other than the kind of the, the thrill of victory and the hunt and the chase. Oh, that's completely false. Completely false. Yeah. Absolutely, a thousand million I mean, percent. I can see where people get that idea from if they're just watching odd clips or yeah. odd matches, because obviously, if you don't speak Japanese or you're not following the the stories week to week, you are gonna miss all that. But that's the same as if you were watching wwe in a foreign language or you weren't watching it week to week like yeah you're just gonna see the matches you're just gonna see the end result i'd love to know your rating for this match you know taking into account the tears the emotions the the crazy maneuvers i know you had a lot of hype going into it because it's like two of the greatest tag teams of all time so did it live up to it what was your rating it completely lived up to it if not exceeding it even like i gave this four stars out of five i only knocked off one star because i really didn't like the finish it doesn't make sense for me matt forcing himself into a one-winged angel like you gotta put in the work there's another hour in therapy before you got there matt yeah maybe i needed to watch all of being the elite to really appreciate why he did that but from what i know about what his did joey ryan think about this? i just don't think it makes any sense for him he's a He's a heel. Why would he do that? It's so I hate that so much. I guess because his heart was no. melting. He's on that journey as well. Okay, so I'd use the weight belt against Kenny. Because at that point he felt like or two minutes earlier. It's, it's, I don't like it. Res- it's wrestling fine. works on different timelines. I will accept that maybe there's something I'm not getting, yeah. and that I'm completely fine with the fact that I'm sure someone will tweet and be like, "Oh, well, he did it because of this," and that's fine. I'm I don't know. But it was not self-evident while you were yeah. watching the match, and it is and it took me your rating, and so. it's the finish, and so it gets a whole star knocked off for that other than that i think it would be a perfect match i loved the crying the tears the emotional aspect because they do have kenny has this long friendship with the bucks and they've been loyal to him you know when cody betrayed him and hit Cody, that i don't think they were directly involved in that yeah. so i like they were still that. in the middle uh, yeah. yeah that stuff 
And his meanwhile, his his ongoing relationship with Kota, loved all that. So yeah, I know you were less fond on that aspect. For me, amazing, wonderful, <laughs> great. I I get what you mean though about being like it being oversaturated. Yeah. But I kind of feel it's that, almost... that's on us though. That's just you know we were we, we had like a solid fucking two weeks of watching Kenny Omega that's matches. That's it. I feel it's, it's almost like watching you I mean you did Night of the Living Dead and it's almost like watching that George A. Romero movie and going, Oh, zombies are so overdone. It's like <laughs> I know but it's, it's, they it's, it's a thing I did yeah. it first. Yeah, yeah I, I I totally get you. I think I was it was a victim of our own of our own watching and research more yeah. so than anything there. It's very interesting hearing Kenny in his promos after this match and generally on this time where he says his dream is he wants to make New Japan go global. He mm. wants because New Japan have uh, a US division now. You know it started oh, around wow. this time, and they have found it quite difficult to get their foot in the door. One of the main reasons being, I guess, is because AEW is there now. Is yeah. kind of that style of wrestling being offered. But they have a dojo in you know in, in San Francisco, and they are running shows still there, and they have a dedicated division and all that. But I feel like them starting to tour globally, New Japan, and them starting to kind of be able to draw on audiences, not just people who are watching online, but be able to actually get butts and seats in buildings, yeah. start to build this idea that maybe there is an appetite, that maybe they, they can do something mm. you know, on a bigger scale in America. Maybe not the company, but certainly the performers. So we watched Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega, which is a match which, you know, in kayfabe is used by Don Callis' hyperbole of like, you know, the match that birthed AEW. But I don't think it can be overstated just how important that match was because, you know, Jericho was off the end of an extremely successful run in WWE. A run that even made Joe Graham, who when you first saw Jericho, oh you thought God. nothing of the man. I think he was my least favorite wrestler ever at that time. I mean, you know, Jericho and Ryback brought it to the dance and you just didn't care. That's on you. That's not on Jericho. But this is like, you know, post-list, post-festival of friendship, you know, mm -hmm. that incredible, untouchable run. And just the idea of someone of that stature and that kind of status... Who had literally said, you know, on record, like, hey, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll happily only work for Vince McMahon for the rest of my life. Him saying, you know what, I'm going to go over there to Japan because what they're doing there is pretty funky. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go and I'm going to have a fucking main event with Kenny Omega in the Tokyo Dome. That was like, it still seems surreal, you know, because it's like, it's just so... It's so weird for me because it doesn't... Yeah, because that's I what you, you know, yeah. that, that absolutely seems the norm. And yeah. I won't say it's the backbone, but it's certainly one of the spinal discs that went into the backbone of AEW being able to form. That match... When we watched it, it's like absolutely incredible. Mm. You know, I, I adored how Jericho just felt like, you see when Kenny, like he's like, oh, everything's working the way I wanted to. You know, that's, you know, Kenny when he's a youngster on his way, finally finding what he wants. This is Jericho in his fucking mid forties be like having this light shining out of him. They're like, oh my God, yeah. wrestling's fun again. Like you fucking, you've main evented WrestleManias. You've done everything. Yeah. And you've found this new passion incredible to see mm. and that merging of styles as well of like you know jericho's trash talking all the fucking screaming at the fans oh, knocking over referees and their it. sons and all that stealing you know? photographers cameras and stuff and like i just think it's so cool because it's like kenny's in the middle of all this drama with kota the young bucks and the bullet club and he has to put up this arsehole mm -hmm. jericho in the middle of it like i think that match will probably history will show as being like one of those matches that like if that didn't happen wrestling in america wouldn't be the same why is that though why that match specifically because that match you know i think we talked before about it was you know the, the wrestle kingdom where you know aj and nakamura fought and that was a kind of a load of eyes came on as a lot of fans decided to watch it for the first time 
But that one was literally like, hey, this isn't like guys you've heard about. This is guy you know versus the guy you've heard about. They got tens of thousands of subscribers to New Japan World. All of them just watched... Just because of Chris Jericho. Just because Jericho was going to face Kenny Omega, the dream Jesus, match. Jesus, the clout of that man. And that's not just kind of like, hey, that's great. You know, tens of thousands of people all huddled around their laptops. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Yeah. But they were able to then go with, say, Tony Khan. Like, hey... I've got these stars signed, Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega. Look at the business that they brought for this company that's been in streaming for fucking Youngs now. Mm. Look, look at the, look at the money they brought in. Yeah, they're on my team. Give me a TV show. Right. You know that that's like kind of in the history of wrestling. There's not been clear metrics provided to potentially skeptical, you know, network television companies that were like, hey, maybe we should get into wrestling. They're like, look at this. This is the hot thing. It's online. People want us. Mm. You know, th- that coupled with the figures that they're getting on social media, being the elite, the fact that the Young Bucks and Kenny and the elite were able to get so much stuff in, like, you know, their own merchandising on Hot Topic and all that. All those deals they put together. So smart. I, but it is. And, like, you know, individually, it's like, that's cool. But, like, if you can go to a company and they're like, I don't know if I want to put wrestling on and go, well, look at all the digital buys we got here. Look at all the merchandise we've yeah, sold. Look, look at all the social media the figures. The answer is money. Yeah. That's why. That's money. why. That all turns into like money. Do you like money? Do, yeah, you, do you use money yeah. to buy things? Right? <laughs> so I just think that, you know, that match, absolutely pivotal. And of course, that match as well takes against the backdrop of Kenny's own personal journey. Because there's a journey that he's been on since he's come to Japan, whether he realized it or not, which has become the champion, the IWGP heavyweight champion, to finally bust out from the junior division, to become something that Kota Ibushi was striving for as well, to become the top dog in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But of course, they have an ace in their sleeve at the moment, and that is a man named Okada, who is, from all accounts, the greatest champion that New Japan had ever seen. And he fought him before in a match that got six stars, and we watched over on our How Too Long Matches episode from a thousand years ago. They fought again, and Kenny did pick up a win, but only because Okada had been beaten into submission and was not at 100%. And then they had a one-hour draw. Wait, beaten into submission? Is that not the whole point of a match? No, as in, like, he had already had matches. Oh, I see. So when he faced him, he wasn't 100%. So Kenny won, but only because Okada had, right. you know, was, was kind of battle-damaged. Then they had a one-hour draw. Then they had this match, which got <laughs> seven stars. Yeah. You broke the just eat rating. I know Pizza <laughs> Magic and Swinton is delicious, but come on. That's not even I would give him that. Now, I'm not going to lie. There is a large part of the reason why we watched this match was because when you have an established star rating system from a guy who, for better or for worse, is considered to be one of the main voices in pro wrestling journalism and Mm -hmm. critique and that system gets broken and then it gets broken to an extent that is kind of comical we kind of have to go and watch that match right i do i mean yes i also find the star rating system really funny because i don't think dave Meltzer has ever actually said and maybe i'm wrong that his rating goes out of five no, I think he's, 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 he's claimed that it wasn't broken because he never said it was no. you know, that and in the first place. He was probably being facetious, but on Twitter only a couple of months ago, he said that his ratings go from minus 4.75 up to infinity. Okay. And he says, because wrestling is always getting better, I personally don't necessarily agree with him on that, but he says, because wrestling's always getting better, 
his star ratings will always go up and they have the potential of infinity. So you're probably listening to this in the future being like, God, that seven star match really, really pale in comparison to the eight star match. Yeah. What I will say about the seven star match, which took place at Dominion 6.9 for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship as Kenny Omega took it on the Rainmaker, Mr. Okada. This match took place in 2018 at a point in time where I think weekly fantastic mind-blowing wrestling matches that could easily have won five stars from what was considered five stars a few years back Mm. i don't think that was maybe taken into account as in i feel this rating is probably more emblematic of the standard at the time and didn't necessarily see into the future of what wrestling is going to be now because i feel like if you're to give matches star ratings we'd be breaking the five star rating every week almost with the deluge of fantastic high octane wrestling judged on those standards but i mean i feel wrestling has always been amazing i think it entirely depends on what you consider to be it's it's so personal it is it's so subjective it's what you consider to be perfect or or amazing or great but like by dave's own metric i would have assumed that like some of like brian danielson's earlier matches would have gotten eight stars or maybe Kurt Angle would have gotten a five star match that's the, the common one that's brought up how come Kurt Angle's never won a five star match award well at least with that it's like well Kurt Angle wrestles a very different style yeah. to someone like Kenny Omega or Will Ospreay yeah and I think as well he wrestled in a company that at that time maybe that Dave Meltzer wasn't as open to giving that type of wrestling five stars yeah and you know? I don't know if Dave would ever admit it but it's always as well like it's so personal it can be down to your mood yeah and he, were, like, he has said that if like you had you know? a headache for watching i don't know the kurt angle street fight match then maybe you wouldn't think it was as good as everyone else did <laughs> so kenny omega comes out for this match somehow looking bigger than ever and he's got kota ibushi by his sides now we went to this kind of having been on the journey compartmentalized as best as possible. We'd seen as many of the clips, as many of the matches, as many of the kind of the moments along the way as we, we, we could kind of reasonably do without burning ourselves out. I think that you and I maybe went into this match because like the big part of it is that Kenny is, he's whole now. You know, he's back with Kota. The hair is as blonde as blonde can be, you know. He has the bullet club in his rearview mirror. That's not an issue for him anymore. And I think you and I were maybe thinking that this match would be full of like shots of Kota, him willing Kenny on, him firing him up, all that kind of stuff that I think as Western wrestling fans you expect when the friend who you've reunited with is now in your corner for the biggest match of your life. I wouldn't say I expected it, but I definitely hoped for that. Yeah. I, I love that stuff. That for me was like kind of something that just from the way we watched it, I think, and I get that comes down to the rating system, that how you watch it mm. and how we watch this, I think we were very much through the lens of the Golden Lovers and Kota and Kenny's relationship. Yeah. Ergo, Okada's going to be intimidated by the love and the power of their friendship. Kota, bam, he non-factor in this, I would almost say. You could probably cut every shot we see of Kota together and it would be maybe two or three seconds long. <laughs> he's He's like, yeah, barely in this. Okada is intimidatingly audacious when he comes out. He looks like such a final boss, which is perfect because he is. Like, he is the final boss of New Japan, and he's also the final boss of Kenny Omega's career. Yes, this is this is the mountain that he has to climb. Mm. Like, to be the ace, to be the best, is unquestionably, this is the guy. And let me tell you, every time I see Okada, I get a little bit giddy, because someday I'm going to get into him properly and do the, yeah, all the research, do the episode. Because, <laughs> like, the little bits I've seen, it's like I've... 
I've been to a Mission Star restaurant and I've ran through and <laughs> and I've eaten a bite off your plate and, <laughs> and ran away. And I know it's amazing, but I'm not fully there yet. And someday I will be, and it's going to be great. And you'll be able to kick me out of the restaurant because I'll have paid <laughs> and I've got a reservation. But yeah, I find it amazing that you could know absolutely nothing about wrestling. You've never seen it in your life before, and you could see Okada coming out to the ring here and know. He is the biggest deal. Yeah, it's like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that as well, that you have these facial expressions, the minutiae of the selling here, where Kenny is both nervous, hmm. because he is. Yeah. And also, in, like, in kayfabe and, and, real, yeah. and shoot as well. And also excited, because he is. Because he is, yeah. You know, but also intimidated, you know. It's, it's really fucking fantastic. And you get like him trying to come across in the early goings of the match as being kind of kind of cool as a cucumber but then you get these random explosions of offense where he's like no let's go now let's mm. do it now I'm, I'm tired of kind of playing around he wants to hit that high gear early on but my god almighty if i'm going to try and go through the entirety of this 70 some minute match i think that's probably not going to do very very well for anyone's enjoyment of it no if you are interested go and watch the match yourself yeah it is available on new japan world's and other sites as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not YouTube, though. No. And definitely not Twitter, because New Japan does not like that happening at all. <laughs> I don't know how it would work on Twitter anyway in two-minute, 20 segments. <laughs> New Japan have released it entirely on TikTok now. Uh, to... God, you know what? You probably could actually get around copyright by doing that. No one give them that idea. Yeah. Come on, they'll, 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 they'll jump on it too quickly. But yes, the first fall in this match takes around like 25 30 minutes thereabouts until we actually get into you know it's a two out of three falls encounter and i think it takes you know the bulk of the match to get up to that first first fall i did love a few little moments in it though like the tombstone pile driver on the apron which kenny saw like his neck had been fucking broken and then later on when he gets put in that tombstone again his arms going all like spaghetti and wobbling around mm. i've watched probably eighty-six thousand tombstone pile drivers in my day and i've never seen anyone wiggle around like that it feels like you're not allowed to do or whatever disrespecting the undertaker but <laughs> <laughs> he's so good at selling it but i think part of what makes it great is his hair. Yes. It kind of hides the distance between his head and the floor so he can take it a lot more safely. Mom and granny were onto something yeah. when they were curling that hair. I'm just saying, it would be much harder to take a tombstone pile driver and make it look good if you're bald. That's so fucking true. No wonder, well, Austin's broken neck is probably why you oh, can take the tombstone. That is probably the main reason, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we have as well, of course, a fantastic move to play around with here in the Rainmaker with Okada's finisher where you kind of pull him in by the arm to go into that big lariat. But like that is just like kind of this beautiful opening salvo of a dance. And we get so many reversals, so many twirls, Mm. so many back and forth. The momentum constantly shifting. I love that the first fall actually came from Kenny reversing the Rainmaker, rolling him up. But Okada just being like, ah, ah, ah. Like just shifting his weight tiny bit. And he manages to pit him outright. Not with a finisher, just with the little fact that he is the master of his own moves domain and no mm-hmm. one can get anything on him when the Rainmaker is involved. I love that little touch. Yeah. The second fall begins after a rest period and we do get a little bit of Koja like motivating Kenny and trying to get him into it, but it almost feels like the camera doesn't want to show him. That and also I feel, and I don't know if this is because Kota would have probably almost definitely have been a ring boy, but he feels like he's hiding. Yeah. When you like, see it's, him, it's not about him, he's like... crouched down, like almost trying not to be on camera. Damn you, you humble bastards. Yeah. No, wonder they didn't have you go over at the cruiserweight classic <laughs> too damn modest there's a couple of really scary spots that happened in the second fall there's a part where kenny's like stood up on the barrier 
like a barricade's going to do a move off it and Okada just shoves him and mm. he goes flying off that into another barricade onto the concrete. Yeah, I think I'm having a sneaking suspicion that Dave Meltzer might give big leaps into barricades more stars. I think Kenny is Mr. Big Leap into Barricades. He loves doing that. Is it the build em training? It must in be the build <laughs> training. <laughs> Turns out that abusive piece of shit had a point after. Yeah. No, he did not. No. no. But yeah, um, there is like a lot of smirking from Okada in this part as well, which like made me feel like, because this is like the last match that we watched, I felt like I was on Kenny's like journey with him and I was like, don't you start fucking smirking at him. He was bawling his eyes out with his best friends only 20 minutes ago. Good <laughs> Lord Almighty. The table that gets used. This happened in that other match with Akada that we watched for long matches where he places a table on top of someone and then stomps onto it. Mm. I don't know how you do that without really hurting someone. These tables are really scary as well. They're very narrow. Yes. And- very shiny and slippery looking and hard very joe hard. that's a japanese table for you joe it does not want to break yeah i mean I, all i could say is i'd love to podcast on one of those tables oh, yeah. good and sturdy but yeah it's not like in the chris jericho match we watched when he took a bump into a table it just like perfectly split in half the table here <laughs> no it will wobble it just basically the table doesn't want to sell for the wrestlers yeah it's I, like, i'm not putting you over brother yeah i think it'll that's make her hurt his feet doing it more yeah. than anything anything else but there's a really cool moment in this as well where omega he hits like a v trigger and he's about to do a pin and finish him off and he actually stops himself from pinning him to try and do it again and he almost loses the second fall the same way he loses the first one by okada being one step ahead of him but we do get the one winged angel for the second fall to go to kenny now i know i mentioned earlier about roman doing loads of spears in his match Mm. i did count how many v triggers there were in this match do you want to guess how many times he did the v trigger Five. Fourteen. Fourteen? <laughs> Fourteen! Jesus. What, like successfully or just try? No, no, successfully he hit 14 V-triggers in this match. That's ridiculous. It is. I don't know if it's actually a finisher. I think it's just a fun move well, he likes to do. The one winning Angels is finisher. Yeah, but V-triggers is a signature, I guess. Yeah, but I don't know what the rules are with regards to doing that lots of times. You can do as many as you want. Fill your boots. Right. The third fall begins with the Rainmaker, which I thought was fantastic. We get a Styles Clash being busted out as well at one point. I was talking about Rikishi earlier. I really want to see him take a Rainmaker. <laughs> this is maybe the only use, potential use of AI that I would be down for, which is I really want someone to create that. <laughs> now, I know I've just said that there was 14 of them, but I have fallen in love with the V-Trigger. Oh, uh, right. Okay. This be- is like Stockholm Syndrome. It is. It's because... Like, my issue with it always was, like, kind of, well, like, it's, like, it's not, like, it's not going to win, so what's the, you know, what's the... But once he did 14 of them and none of them made him win any of the falls in this match, I was just like, okay, it's just a fun move Mm. that I can now enjoy without any of the baggage of expecting it to be a finisher or a devastating maneuver. It's just a... It's like Young Bucks in a super kick. Right, yeah. There'll be loads of them. Enjoy the noise. Yeah. And I do like the noise. I don't know how he does it. No. He does slap his knee sometimes, but other times it feels like he does it and he just fucking... I don't know, he's got a very nice knee pad. <laughs> yeah, Works no idea. very, very well from. Uh, for fun at this point, when both men are extremely spent, we were like over an hour in, they were drenched in sweat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Okada trying to do the Rainmaker, but he just like, you know, he, the power is not behind it anymore. And for fun, Joe and I, because we're idiots, started workshopping 
the worst possible finish for this match, yeah. which was spectacular. And I was like, yeah, Jimmy Uso comes in, does the super kick. <laughs> now, personally, I love the interference. I thought it was great. <laughs> I loved Kenny's story ending in disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking it'd be funny for just one of them to get counted out of the ring. Like, yeah. <laughs> or, or, no, Gato, who was in uh, Okada's corner, to go, hey, look over here. <laughs> like uh, MVP did yeah. with Drew. Not, not a finisher, though, just a roll up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One, two, three. What the hell? That referee's on the goddamn take. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> but yes, we get an extremely fast rolling one-winged angel. Akata gets caught in the ropes. We then get a V-trigger that seems to make our TV into a 3D television briefly. And then we get the one-winged angel again. Kenny wins a match. Then honestly, the bit afterwards where the Young Bucks come out... And he talks to them about, like... He spoke in Japanese fluently, first of all, mm. which was... Very impressive, yeah. Fucking cool. When you're mm. that beat up and blown up after that match. Calm and cool and collected. Beautiful speech. And then he talks about what's important to him. Having his friends and his beautiful, handsome tag team partner. And now he is the champion. And I thought that was just like... If you're to have your ending in Street Fighter, the little text rolling up, that would be Kenny's ending there. Yeah. But I felt like the cloud of it being a seven-star match hung over this like a dirty stink. And I almost didn't want to know that information. Mm. I think it got in the way of its... But it's just someone's you know, opinion. That's it, it yeah. It doesn't matter. I don't care enough about that. Like, it's, it's, I find it interesting, but it's not going to change what I think. It is extremely brilliant. I don't think it's the best wrestling match I've ever seen. But, you know, I feel like I've seen so many great wrestling matches this month alone that I would... I find it difficult now to classify these upper echelons of brilliance. Mm. I will say it's a fucking long L boy. It's very long. You know, you could we'll probably get the same hint of kick-ass match that's maybe not quite as long. Ah, oh, director's cut. Maybe, you know. I, cut out I, all the unnecessary V-triggers. I just, I, <laughs> I felt like that the other, like the, the, the other one that we watched from them, from Young's back, I felt like, you know, that was as good. But that being said, it's about that journey, isn't it? That's it. And wrestling's very interesting for that because when you're a critic of most media, like say TV shows or whatever, you wouldn't review like one episode of The Sopranos out of context on its own and yeah. be like, well, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know who who this uh, who this Olivia Soprano is or like <laughs> makes no sense to me. If you've not followed the full story, it's not for you yeah. yet. You have to go back to the beginning and watch it all. But with a movie you're just reviewing the movie. You don't have to worry about any further context. But with wrestling, it's both. Mm. It's both reviewing the match in and of itself and just how it stands up as a match. But it's also hard, if not impossible, to separate it from the wider context of the story if you've been following it for a long time. And also, unlike you were, you kind of mentioned like kind of, oh, Mark Commode re, you know, reviewing movies or whatever. It's kind of a comparison to like just kind of uh, someone who's, who's trusted as a name giving his opinion or whatever it is. But he's not doing that against the backdrop of there seems to be a genuine consensus that movies are better than they ever have been and there are more movies than ever before mm. and there's so many movies right now that I can't watch them every week. Like, wrestling's in a really weird place at the moment where it feels like there's never been more of it and also it's at a at a, an objectively higher level than yeah. it's ever been in the past before. So I think that, like, have your own rating system. It works out well for you, Joe. I think... It's fine to pay attention to Dave Meltzer's ratings because it's a metric from which you can form your own opinions. And it goes back to the fucking 70s or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, and that, if, that's handy. If you decide that you disagree with them, that's still 
valid and useful because then you can be like right i'm going to avoid all his matches that he gave over five stars because i won't like them that's and, fine and that's why i gave this match eight smelly farts out of a possible five uh, <laughs> no, no 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 but i want to know your rating for this one because it, it was i will say you know the long match episode in the back of my mind this was the longest match we watched by far yeah ah right i feel bad for this and i I'm glad we have very nice listeners who won't judge me. And many of them have told us that they were in tears at the end of this yeah. match. Look, I asked people on Twitter to tell me what they thought of this match and if they had followed the story. Because it had been going on for about two years yeah. at this point in the Okada of Kenny feud. And this is crazy to think that that was happening at the same time as the story with, with Kota, mm-hmm. with the Bullet Club rebellion, and with the elite splitting off, and Jericho. Like this... It's a fucking busy couple yeah. of years that Kenny had. <laughs> and for a lot of people who loved this match, it was partly because this was kind of like the finish of a story for them. It kind of mm. tied everything up and it was like the emotional end point for Kenny's story at this point. Other people didn't know anything about the story, just watched the match and thought it was incredible and completely deserved the seven stars. I thought this match was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it three out of five. <laughs> Which, if anything, I thought was slightly generous. Honestly, like it wasn't bad. It yeah. certainly wasn't bad. They're amazing wrestlers, but it just didn't do anything for me. I, I'm not just not into all the repeating moves. It mm. just feels like filler for me. Maybe if I had watched the ongoing story at the time, I would be more invested. Yeah. But I personally don't really care about like you know the Bullet Club come out at the end here and they all hug. I don't really care about I mean, that, that. friendship. That was the bit I liked the most. Like, I, I. I got a little tear. I mean, I was. I should also point as well. I was incredibly sick the last week, yeah. so I did have a tear in my eye during that. But that for me was the sweet spot of that match. Yeah. Was just that kind of happy ending of seeing like all of them being so emotional and happy for him. And yeah. it's always such a selfish journey. The wrestlers rise to the top, and it's one of the things the wife and kids come in, whatever it is. But it's just like it's his. It's his found family. It's his friends. It's the guys he's been on these weird journeys with. The young books he's been on a journey with them. Cody he's been on a journey with. He's been on a journey himself. That got to me, you yeah. know. But, you know, maybe all that could do is serve to remind you about the complexity of the other story that you weren't as into. So who knows, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, do, I just don't... It's not that I wasn't into the other story. I just mm. have, I haven't seen as much of it. Yeah. Look, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm, I apologise for my racing because <laughs> I know... I tried to make her cry with the match, guys. I really did. Like. I know there will be people who are disappointed I didn't get it. And maybe it's a case of I've not been watching wrestling long enough so that a lot of the what makes this so impressive isn't obvious to me. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I think it's like, you know, the thing I closely could compare it to, because I saw someone mention this in the tweets, was like kind of, you know, they cried at you know, two matches. There was that one, and then there was... Uh, Daniel Bryan's journey in WWE to becoming the world champion and winning the belt in that triple threat at WrestleMania 30. I cried at the end of that, mm. you know, because I felt like I had been on that journey. Yeah. I had been on that journey with him for, you know, 10-ish years or thereabouts. Mm. And it felt like, you know, vindication, catharsis, release, whatever you want to call it. Like, it's a big moment, it pays off. Yeah. You feel emotional. It's like one of those things, like, you know, at the end of the whatever the Avengers movie was where it was like everyone in the cinema was all crying and not like we're all the biggest Avengers fans in the world it's that we had been on a journey for so long it takes an emotional weight along with you whether or not you think you're invested like that and it's like marks the end of an era yeah exactly it was and it was a huge end of an era and you know Omega becoming that level of star mm. and that's the thing like we, we watch interviews with him where he's like I want to become the biggest star in wrestling he wants to be the best mm. 
and he wants there to be no like kind of owes it him or him it's like no the only argument is who's second place and he wasn't doing this as like a kenny omega the cleaner he was yeah. being super serious super it was the same mm-hmm. interview where he actually talked about being bisexual yeah very earnest simply wanted to be the absolute best if anything he seemed a little embarrassed to yeah. admit it but i think it's like one of the rare cases where i've seen someone like have a thank you for being honest yeah because i don't want to see these people wrestling where they're like i don't i don't care man you fucking care you you really do care you want to be the best so 2019 comes and aew is formed initially it's perhaps a pie in the sky dream but for the reasons that we've mentioned along the way here from the storytelling to the you know to the to the revenue and to the notoriety and to the fan base all elite wrestling forms on the basis of having big stars from the elite, Hangman Adam Page, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, who've officially you know moved away from the Bullet Club, you've got Chris Jericho in there as well. Many people were sitting waiting, going, "And Kota Ibushi," mm. and he didn't. Yeah, and I feel, I feel a Kota's story. It's a different episode. I don't want to talk about it loads here. We just recently reviewed a couple of Kota Ibushi matches on our Patreon page for you know, Wrestle Dream, And of course we saw him live at the stadium show for Wembley at All yeah. In. I can't help but feel at the end of this journey that if you were somebody who was along the way with that Golden Lovers story, I won't say you'd be pulling your hair out, but you can't be happy with how that story has presented itself in America now. The continuation of that story, which mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen it now. I watch AEW every week and we review the pay-per-views every month on, on, on Patreon. And Kota coming in, it was a big deal and all that. But I think physically Kota Ibushi, a lot of the injuries have caught up with him. Yeah. You know, age, time, all that stuff has been a factor. Also, like, narratively, are they still lovers? Because they're not the golden... Are they... They are kind of the golden lovers again now, Well, they're, they? you know, they're the golden elite when they're together with the elite right. and all that. And... You know, Don Callis, when he sent, you know, his his henchmen to beat up Kota Ibushi, like, we're going to attack his heart and playing, you know, he's... Right. But I they... just feel they've gone even more vague mm. with the references to them being lovers. And I think there have been so many instances where what Kenny, I think, wants to achieve in wrestling, and one of the reasons why he signed with AEW is that it wasn't just to be a wrestler, it was to become executive vice president, lots of different things he wanted to get get involved in. And I think one of the main things is how the stories are told. Mm. And I can think of a lot of really great examples. I think you mentioned Hangman Adam Page. That storyline with him and and uh, Kenny Omega, starting as the tag partners, the kind of the waywardness of Adam Page, them coming together again then maybe and not being able to achieve the heights as the tag team as they feel they could. Then Kenny turning dark-sided and aligning with Don Callis to become this really dark-sided version of himself as the world champion. And then the catharsis of Adam Page beating him, even though I felt like I'd only seen like two-thirds of the story, I felt that was really expertly done. Mm. But an issue I will always say, and I love AEW, I absolutely do. It is my favourite wrestling company, you know, by a good stretch, I think, over the last few years. The fact that only certain people get that type of story. Yeah. And they often are Kenny Omega. And I feel like the ideology of what wrestling storytelling can be and should be hasn't permeated across all the different parts of mm. that company. Here and there, yes. But, like, can you tell me that, like, Miro, for instance, or Andrade, or, like, I could pick you know, loads of random people who I feel are often hothouse in separate compartments they don't interact with these guys these guys don't interact with these guys have they all had that same benefit of that type of long-term storytelling i don't think so no i don't think even kenny has the best of times i mean i think 
is it fair to say that when Kenny was hooked up with the elite and <laughs> as you know as a bad guy team and all that that it was less enjoyable for you I don't for know for me yeah absolutely yeah. I, I didn't enjoy particularly his run as a heel why is that do you think I felt he was almost like outshone by having these eccentric characters like Don Callis and the Young Bucks. They kind a, lot, of... a lot of set dressing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a lot of like other people involved going, me, 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 me. And Kenny is a very generous performer. And I think he was happy to kind of take a step back and let them do their thing. But actually, he is the compelling one. Really, he's the best. And I want more of him. I want. I kind of wish he was a bit more selfish. That's the thing, right? I feel every time we watch an AEW pay-per-view, whether we say it outright or not, I feel like the Kenny Omega match is almost... It's, a, it's appointment viewing. Yeah. You know, like, I'm excited, you know, as we're recording, tomorrow night he's taking on MJF. It's be amazing. Uh, uh, that, that for me is like, must see. Yeah. And there's very few wrestlers in this day and age where there's so much wrestling on TV where I'm like, well, whatever's happening, I'm going to watch that one. Have to watch that one. And I come to you at the end of this episode, listener, kind of scratching my head going... How's he not the centerpiece? Mm-hmm. Like the centerpiece. And I get you got Moxie, huge star, big yeah. fucking star, arguably a bigger star than Kenny Omega in America. Jericho, you can make a similar argument. You know, CM Punk when he was there, Edge, maybe. I'd, but like, fuck me. You're, <laughs> he needs to be more selfish. Yeah. He should be saying, hey, I am the best bout machine. I am the guy who's, you know, made a lot of this yeah. possible. I'm not in kayfabe. I'm, no, I'm for real. For real. Yeah. Like, he actually needs. That empathy has done him in, Joe. I think it's a couple of different things that have happened here. One, I think, which is an issue with AEW, which is them handing out backstage roles to wrestlers. Because we have a lot of friends who are very harsh on his position as an EVP. And I feel like I have been, on our reviews, when there's been issues with like, things like women's wrestling and stuff mm-hmm. like that, I'm like, where the, he's, this lad's meant to be in charge of this shit, isn't yeah. he? Where, where he's asleep at the wheel type of thing. But like... <sighs> This is a guy who also wants to be the best wrestler in the world. Do you think think about how single-minded you have to be to mm. want that? Let alone to be that, which I yeah. would argue he is. How on earth can he also be expected to stretch himself into, you know, storytelling for a company with all those people? Also booking a whole division of women. With an owner who we can definitely say has been on record as saying, I don't want there to be as many yeah. women's matches as you, the audience. I don't women, Tony Khan, probably. <laughs> you're happy, aren't you? Yeah. What? Yeah, you're happy. Yeah. So I think it was naive to, for anyone to expect any of the wrestlers who are active to also be able to do those roles because I feel it's almost a bit arrogant I think of them to even think they could have done it in the first place because it's yeah. such that's a full-time job doing that backstage stuff it's really important actually and I think a lot of people are going to end up presenting you when you have that role and that position mm. and like I I but like, you can't win can you because like no what so he's gonna stop wrestling people love him as a wrestler but he's gonna just become a backstage guy it's you can't win which is why I don't think active wrestlers should be put in backstage roles no. you know it's one thing in ECW where they like they're scrappy have, they're yeah, scrappy yeah. They're working their way up same with like the indies plenty of fucking money in AEW yeah, to go there's around there's enough money for, mm. hire experts and I think it also leads on to my second issue which I do think wrestlers need actual agents slash managers I don't mean in kayfabe I mean mm. in shoot they need like a legal representative 
to do the negotiating on their behalf. I know some wrestlers have it, like Brock Lesnar, Young Young Bucks too. I'm pretty sure Kenny does as well. You know. Well, then he needs to get a new one because his whoever he has is not fighting enough for like his own corner. Yeah, I can't believe the executive vice president in charge of making everything good forever failed at the post. But like, you know, I've gone back and forth in this in my mind because I'm like if it's your job and it's your title it's your responsibility but i take your point that maybe we shouldn't be giving out you know in the first instance it i think it was to send a message of like this is gonna be run by the boys yeah and i I think it's a nice idea it's shit though and i don't know i I feel it's so naive and also like if if we're the boys why haven't they unionized that if the boys are all evps it's like Mm -hmm. you know as cm punk has said and i think he's very true wrestlers are too stupid and too selfish what does that mean for the boys (laughs) Because so far, what it seems to mean is literally for the boys and no one else. But like, if you're not in the little in group, Mm. you don't get you don't get the opportunities. And like, is that not the whole point of why they made it like it's run by the boys? Because we know what these wrestlers need and what Mm. they want and stuff, and we're going to look out for the little guys. But they're not doing that. I don't think he he has necessarily the temperament to be whatever special combination of factors you have to have to be an executive vice president and world champion. Maybe, like, yeah, maybe he could do it. He's not as arrogant as Dusty Rhodes. No, <laughs> maybe he could do it if he wasn't a full-time wrestler mm. aiming to become the, the greatest wrestler in the world. But this is like, again, my point. I feel wrestlers need to be empowered to end their career on their own terms. Kenny Omega has said, because he's got many, many injuries, he said if he gets one more injury... He's done. He doesn't want to wrestle anymore. Well, he had... I mean, you know, we talk about that run. Yeah. That run he did when he was being held together by tape and fucking gum, it felt yeah. like. You you know, I know he had hernia. I know he had uh, neck and spine issues. Uh, you found out as well about uh, Vertigo. Yeah, during... I think it was his first match with Okada. There was a certain move which just went slightly wrong and it triggered Vertigo in him. Now, I have a family member who has vertigo. Yeah, it's, it's not... It's debilitating. I know, Ric Flair had yeah. it at one point as well in his career, yeah. As a normal person, it like it's literally completely changes how you live your life. As a wrestler, I can't That's a even imagine... That sentence, I would have thought. He like. says he had to retrain how to wrestle while the room is spinning around him. <sighs> which hell. seems incredibly stupid to me. Now, my advice to someone like him would be, right, you need to wrap things up. You, you are on the way out. Do it on your own terms. Don't wait for an injury to take you out, you know, randomly. That's shit. Mm. You've put so much effort into your long-term storytelling. Give it an ending. Yeah. I would love to see them lean into the story he has with Kota. They're like both getting it. on. Yeah, they're yeah. both getting on. Like, Kota can't go anymore. And Kenny's always been chasing to be at that same level as Kota, but they've never actually been there at the exact same time. And I think that's okay. And it makes a wonderful story. And there's something really romantic about growing old with someone. Yeah. Especially in wrestling. That's never really happened. Yeah. die young all the time and mm. they have to retire too soon and stuff. And it's fucking tragic. But how romantic would it be for them to both just turn to each other and go, you know what? I've really loved this journey that we've been on and I want to oh. I want to spend the rest of my days that's, with you. That, that's what I would want as well because I feel like at the very, very least if he's like, because you know, there's a lot of things that I think he wants to accomplish and I think there's a lot of folks who, you know, Kenny Omega is someone who the fringes on all extremes and the, the edge of haters online yeah. <laughs> seem to band together. You've got pedants, everything from like pedants to homophobes, homophobes yeah. and everything in between and 
you know, as you said, he's an empathetic guy, and like he's read all your comments about why you don't like AEW Fight Forever, the game that he thought, you know, yeah. he really fucking worked hard, and he knows, for instance, as well that like you know the attempts to do the crossover with the pro gaming community, Fighter Fest is not a pro gaming crossover. I've not seen Golden Boy and AEW in a long, long time. Like there have been misses along the way. Yeah. There's been stuff that's been in and out of his control. And I think the thing that breaks my heart the most, I think it was on Swerve's uh, podcast when he was talking about like Rio basically being bullied out of the country and her being like, why does everyone like fucking say all this racist shit to me? And he's Mm -hmm. like fucking agonizing because he's like, I've ruined this young woman's life by bringing her over here. And I, I, I just hope that whatever it is he's doing with his career now, he's not all wrapped up in what he thinks he should be doing instead he should go with his gut and do what he knows is right because his instincts yeah. have always been pretty fucking on point in terms of mm-hmm. what he should be doing in wrestling and i don't think he's a miracle worker and the problems there are in AEW, and there are problems long before that the company had a had a brawl out and all that jazz i don't think there are things that he can solve on his own no exactly not while he's still wrestling no and i think He'll never truly know himself if he can do that backstage EVP role properly mm. until he retires as a wrestler yeah. and gives it his 100% focus. Yeah. Because at the moment, we don't know if it's a case of Tony Khan being like, no, women, no women allowed. Or if it's a case of Kenny being like, oh, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, women, one sec, I'll be with you. I just have to do all these matches. Like, yeah. we just don't know. I, I literally looked every single result on Google about Kenny Omega EVP yeah. to find it anything i am because a lot of it is just people kind of like speculating like the evp yeah. means this ergo that and you know a lot of people speculate that the title is just there so that him and the books and uh hangman get like pensions or oh, stock options a, or a union or something like that something like this, yeah. but like at the end of the day the most i can glean from it is that he's like a man i kind of long for the days when i could just worry about the match yeah and, and that's it like he shouldn't know. have to focus on anything else it, it does seem so... stressed out a lot of the time i've seen him recently it would be so much nicer to just see him focus on finishing up his career doing everything he wants to do ending it on his own terms and then seeing him focus on the backstage stuff because he's got a lot to offer he mm. obviously does enjoy it and i know you mentioned about kind of oh he says he's one injury away from from retiring or whatever it is that would like, be so sad but like, you wouldn't know it. I mean, no, you wouldn't know. Literally, think the last like month or two alone on our Patreon page, him and Kanosuke Takeshita, mm-hmm. one of my favorite matches of the year. Fucking incredible. Yeah. That man who, by the way, also from DDT, who was brought in like you know on on that kind of basis. Fucking absolute ace, total stud. Will Ospreay, who's a man who like he managed to like show the world like why everyone thinks Will Ospreay is great. Like yeah. the matches he's had with Will have been absolutely breathtaking. He set a standard for Will to live up to that I think like motivates Will Ospreay and is going to like have ramifications because the people like you're seeing now are coming in Will Ospreay's only 30 you're seeing a generation of wrestlers coming in who've been inspired by him there's like a line that you're going to draw now for a whole generation of wrestlers because of the work that Kenny does I still think he has many more best bouts left in him but that's the thing you just can't know that yeah and it's not down to work ethic or anything like that it's just luck it is just entirely luck we can't all be sting joe (laughs) yeah i mean wouldn't it be nice for him to like i can totally see the appeal of getting him to squeeze out as many last dream matches as possible because he's incredible and he can obviously still go but knowing how important long-term storytelling is for him and his career i feel he will go down in history much more fondly remembered if he can wrap it up coherently and elegantly 
than oh god it would be so sad for just one injury to take him out of the blue and then that's it he's literally one of the only wrestlers i could think of where like in the future when his career is done you could do a retrospective yeah. podcast just about him yeah. and you would never get bored like yeah. it wouldn't just be like oh this match this match this match it's just like the man is the man has he's very unique like that i came into this episode already saying he's one of my favorite mm-hmm. wrestlers you know modern wrestlers people I, I absolutely have to watch him wrestle but just seeing like oh shit so it's like this beautiful meal that's been presented and you look you edit it it's fucking delicious and then you find afterwards like whoa all that work went in you fucking made the bun for the burger you mm-hmm. did all you met you grew the fucking things you made the pickles out of it's just like it's it's a lot of care and attention to detail that is very often not just lacking, it's not expected in wrestling. Yeah. You know, I've grown up not expecting this. But that's, I think, a perfect example of how he has elevated it as an yes. art form. By being one of the best wrestlers in the world, and by taking that stuff seriously and showing he cares about it, it's made other people go, yeah, actually, I care about that too, and I'd like to see more of it. And it uh, makes yeah. it... It makes people take it more seriously. And be, talking about being like kind of you feel like a, a safe haven or whatever it is he's brought in so many people who are like you know I feel kind of you know nerdy and not represented in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Here you go, like you know I'm queer and I don't feel represented in wrestling. Here you yeah. go, like whatever about bringing in fans, but we're talking about like a generation of wrestlers who've been brought in who maybe didn't feel like they could have come into wrestling before because it didn't feel like a place where you could you know develop or grow as, as a talent yeah he's absolutely smashed those stereotypes and I think that's probably if there's to be a lasting positive legacy it is that but now let's take a look at some of your tweets about the best bout machine the cleaner kenny omega first up from friend of the show eddie o'keefe at sitcound eddie he's undoubtedly excellent has a clear love for wrestling and a passion for everything he does so why am i bored of him his matches with Yoshihiko opened my eyes to a wonderful, silly side of wrestling that I fell in love with. So why do I now roll my eyes when I see him try yet another big, silly thing? Is it because he hasn't changed much? I truly don't know. Is he a little bit too, how do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> I've been trying so hard all episode not to do that. <laughs> I do see so much talent in him and I cannot figure out why I care as little as I do. I think this is quite interesting because a lot of the people who have tweeted in, I think, have been on a bit of a journey with both themselves and Kenny, both regarding, you know, their love of wrestling and their love of him as a wrestler. And I do feel sometimes, and this may have happened with Eddie here, certainly has happened with me and certain wrestlers, is that you can feel like they're your total, absolute, you know, they're <laughs> your wrestle bay. Yeah. And then you get to a point where maybe you just kind of divert away and they keep on the same path or whatever it is mm. it's not the same as like outgrowing someone it just could be that the journey might seem more important or more i don't know striking to you at a certain point in your fandom yeah and if that person is still doing what they're doing hey that's great because other people might discover them i mean i feel like i've been on a bit of a kenny omega journey with you today yeah i feel like we wouldn't have been on the same journey for obvious reasons if we've been watching him religiously these past you know eight or so years yeah so i kind of feel like with that style of extremely high octane like it doesn't entirely surprise me when people not just kenny or like fans of other high octane wrestlers like kenny or or osprey or the young bucks maybe fall off a little bit on the the journey with them yeah i I do think as well like i personally feel kenny's at his best when he's doing the kind of like raw emotive storytelling that's kind of like told through you know, show, don't tell, that stuff. Mm. But he can definitely do that thing of like, I don't know, it reminds me a bit of DDP of like adding kind of, not gimmicks, but like 
bits upon bits upon bits. Like, for instance, his thing at the beginning of his matches where the guy comes out and says, like, who he is. From North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. That whole thing. I fucking love that. Yeah. You asked me if it bothered me. And look, it doesn't bother me. But I do find it's a bit overdone. You need a bit to a bit of homework with Kenny sometimes. Yeah. But that's the, it's interesting because I feel like it goes both ways. I think on one hand, if you're a long term Kenny Omega fan, I think we mentioned with the Golden Lover storyline and particularly the run in AEW. There's an expectation there that A, the story is going to be as good and B, the story is going to fit in with the several years of story you've had going up to it. Yeah. And that is kind of a a great weight of expectation. I do feel Kenny's one of those weird wrestlers where the more you love him, the more you expect of him. Yeah. But like just, you know, between the two parts of us recording here, I showed Adam Bibolo from the Outshare podcast Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega from the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. Mm. I don't think he'd ever seen a Kenny Omega match before. What? And he's like, he's you're not know, singles match at least. And he fucking lit up. Like he didn't know any of the story, any of the kind of lore or anything like that. But within the match itself, he was blown away. Yeah. So I kind of feel like there's a, a strange coalition of Kenny Omega fans where it's the long-term people who've stuck by him through thick and thin. And the people are just like, wow, have you seen the thing that happened <laughs> i don't know i just I, I feel like for a lot of people he probably reminds them of probably it's either people they were friends with in school and found annoying <laughs> or probably for a lot of wrestling fans it's that he reminds them of themselves especially when it comes to things like his saying goodbye at the end of the match yes. like it's just like it starts Adieu. off cool and then he like adds another bit and then it's another bit on top of it. it's just like oh mate you were almost cool there, oh, and then you took it slightly too far. I see. I th- I think it's cool, but I'm saying that in the context of wrestling, where we all have to admit everything's just a little bit slightly uncool. But like you know, I think that's when we cringe at Kenny Omega, we're cringing at ourselves as wrestling yeah, fans. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Next up from Dom Dom 1984. He can be a bit much, but at his best, he isn't matched. Also fully gets the silly side of pro wrestling, which is something I've grown to appreciate over the years. I, I think for me, that's my favourite thing about Kenny Omega is that he is one of the best wrestlers in the world and he uses his status as one of the best wrestlers in the world to show how impressively fun and silly wrestling can be. Yeah, and Neil, you and I, obviously, we love comedy wrestling. Yes. It's, it's a huge, huge passion of ours. Mm-hmm. From all, all parts of the world, if you give me comedy wrestling from Europe, Mexico, America, Japan, wherever, I feel it's, it's fabulous. And the distinctions between all the different forms, great. But Kenny, even though his roots are in kind of that comedy style... I really appreciate that he's woven that into the ultra high-end, high-performance, serious, five-star-plus wrestling that you expect from him. Yeah. It's showing you that there can be silliness, but just because it's silly doesn't mean it has to be ha-ha goofy. Yes. And I think a lot of people, I think ourselves included, when you first see Kenny, you're kind of like, all right, is he like trying to be kind of silly? It's trying to understand where that's coming from mm. and knowing that it's not just something that's thrown in or put on to kind of antagonize old-timey wrestling fans. Yeah. It's there because that is part of his DNA, mm-hmm. you know? The fact that he's able to wield both of those things simultaneously. Bit off-putting for some, for sure. But for, for me, and I think for you, that's definitely uh, the special sauce of wrestling. Absolutely. And look, it's wrestling. There's always going to be something about it that is slightly off-putting to someone. 
Everyone has their bit of wrestling, which they're like, that's not for me, brother. (laughs) And that's okay. It's fine. Next up from Bristle Briss. Kenny wasn't the first wrestler to be into Japanese geek culture, but few, if any, have managed to integrate their fandom so deeply as a compelling and complete performer at the highest level, let alone go through the brutal ordeal of actually learning Japanese. He was a genuine inspiration for me to push forward learning Japanese and to not be ashamed of the hobbies that brought me into living here. I'm not quite as into him these days in AEW, but he'll always hold a special place as one of my all-time faves. Yeah, I think it's really cool when someone is able to, you know, not just be like a wink and a nod. You know, yeah. I, I just think of like Raven or like wrestlers at ECW where it's like, <gasps> they're wearing a t-shirt that I saw on Forbidden Planet when I went to Dublin once. Mm. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think he might read comics? And Kenny is like, not only have I read the comic, I have integrated the arc into this match that I'm doing right now. <laughs> and I, I really appreciate that there's no half measures here. He is whole hog and otaku. He is giving you every bit of it, warts and all. And I appreciate, I got to respect that. He's the best type of otaku though, because he's the type of otaku who has, I feel, educated a lot of Western fans on Japanese culture by, oh, yeah. by taking it seriously and embracing it himself. But by also moving there and ingratiating himself in the culture and their media, he's kind of done it for them to us, like, Westerners as well. Like- it's it's two ways, like, you know, I and mean, it's not just with the Japanese kind of culture or whatever it is, but it's like, you know, I love video games, hmm. I love wrestling, I those two things together, yeah, great. But the fact that, you know, that interview we watched with him where he was talking about, like, looking at wrestling video games or fighting games and frame by frame trying to change his style so that it would look as devastating as it does in those games like he's just made me and i i have been like i'm going back and play loads of old fighting games now because i'm like <laughs> you know he, he it's great when someone can use their love of one thing to show the love of another thing yeah. and take someone who likes both of those things and can appreciate both of them more mm-hmm. you know i thought i'd go away with a bit more of an appreciation of the wrestling style didn't think i'd be coming away going oh, i gotta load up Tekken Tag Tournaments to see that Snapdragon suplex (laughs) one more time, you know? So that's really impressive stuff. And I think in wrestling, where all of us who've grown up as fans have had to deal with a little bit, at least, of being slightly ashamed of this. And I think if you're someone who loves Japanese culture, there's a bit of that as well. And there's something to be said for the fearlessness of 100% loving both out in the open and no one caring either way that's cool yeah next from ftw devils 2413 i discovered kenny omega after this podcast where a guy that explains wrestling to his girlfriend did an episode about the young bucks being the elite started soon after and the chemistry between kenny and the bucks became my favorite thing in wrestling that sounds like a good podcast yeah, just said uh, that is definitely what we refer to as an unforeseen consequence because <laughs> uh, i don't think either you or i had a fucking breeze with kenny omega when we were talking hey, about the young bucks not true i love kenny that's so you'd, see, you'd seen you'd seen the good stuff i you? think back when we did the young bucks i knew more about kenny omega probably than you did yeah because of your tumblr yeah. uh, existence <laughs> <laughs> next up from brain with eyes my fave owing to his litany of diverse incredible matches and his vision that wrestling evolves as an art the fact that he still puts people over and openly pushes a pro lgbtqia plus agenda is icing on an already sumptuous cake for me he's the greatest of all time i think it's he is an important figure for for those reasons listed yeah and you know it makes me think about aew in 2023 that has problems but i still think it's important that there is a place a wrestling company in america where people who have unique visions of what wrestling should be are able to put them out there and i think kenny omega is one of those wrestlers that just him 
existing with the vision he has that alone is enough of a reason for a company like that to exist absolutely because i think you know there's great wwe when like hey the vision that you have aligns with the vision of the yeah. million dollar company that that's great if it happens cody rhodes i'm super happy i love yeah. following your career but there is the reality that certain visions and certain types of wrestling may not align with a billion dollar company mm -hmm. and i think that his vision to this day remains a very appealing one and it's something i want to see on my tv screen next up from earth law 3 you gotta see sissy boy slap party the weird <laughs> canadian experimental film that tyson did when he was young yes we did see young artistic performer tyson smith in sissy boy slap party which you can see on youtube and will be included in the recommended bonus viewing it's fucking incredible it's very if anyone's ever seen like andy warhol's films it's like that it's equal parts andy warhol and mid-season tim and eric awesome yes. show great job like very homoerotic <laughs> but absolutely ridiculous yeah someone show that to jim Cornette. <laughs> <laughs> So, Joe, I think we've come to the end of another amazing episode in so much as I feel like how you and I watch wrestling and the type of wrestling that we watch is has almost been changed forever in some respects by this fellow. We had Vader last go around and Kenny Omega. Boy, oh boy, old Japanese wrestling. But I think the main thing we've taken away from the recent forays over to the East is certainly the creativity on display. Mm. Kenny Omega, where does he rank up with you? Is he a is he a fave now? Have you, is, he's someone who you still watch month to month, but has the research is that emboldened your Kenny Omega viewing? Has it changed your your viewing on him? Not really. I've always known he's one of the best of all time. I've always appreciated his skill, and I've always thought he was cringy, which I'm fine with. That doesn't turn me off as a fan. I I think I think I'm on the same page as you with regards to wrestling is cringy embrace it it's fine but this one guy <laughs> <laughs> look i understand everyone's got their personal taste and there's going to be people who are just like look i just don't like him that's absolutely fine i think he's great but i wouldn't say that this episode has made me love him as a wrestler like considerably more i already loved him as a wrestler i think what it's done instead has made me really appreciate him as a person yeah and i really admire his creativity yeah i think so much of who he is as a person, even though he seems to be quite, you know, kind of a private dude in many respects. Yeah. But like, he wears his heart in his sleeve. Mm. And I think you can say that is absolutely feeds into all of those, you know, the, I say stories, the story. I feel very few wrestlers have a long thread of like who they are and their story. Yeah. Quite as much as Kenny Omega does. Yeah. I think especially in the West. Yeah. I think he has very, very effectively weaved his past and his present and whatever his potential future is into who he is as a character. Yeah. And he's someone who I'm very excited to continue to watch week to week. But also someone who I feel now, if I saw his name listed against any random opponent, he's one of those wrestlers I'd want to seek out him wrestling my other favorite wrestlers. Yeah. Because I feel he raises all, you know, he's one of those tides that raises all boats, so to speak, you know? Dream potential match. Who would you book him with? I mean, I don't know. There's part of me that wants to see him, you know, if we're going total dream, past, presence, alive or dead, it'd be him against someone like, you know, I want to see him and Terry Funk or him and Mike <laughs> Awesome or, or him and Vader. I mean, he just told oh, from the yeah, last episode. him and Vader. Kevin's been watching a lot of All Japan Wrestling yeah. in, his, uh, in his downtime. There's been a lot of uh, wild brawls. How about you? Any dream matches with, with Kenny Omega, past, present or future? I would love to see him against... This is. I'm so sorry, because this is going to make so many fans groan. The Miz, Payback yes, 2024. I was literally going to say The I'm Miz. sorry, CM Punk, we've got a new <laughs> opponent. <laughs> I'm sorry, 
basic as fuck. I do want to see him against The Miz or like John Cena. I want to see him against someone who he has to kind of carry because mm. I think he's great at that. And honestly, I think he'd love the challenge. Like I, I know am. there's a lot of people who hear what I'm saying here and go, oh, for fuck's sake, but The Miz can't go. That's the point. Joe wants to see the free spirit versus the caged canary. She wants to see what happens if the bird will break the other bird out of their jail and they'll fly away together over the horizon or if they'll just go into the cage and have a fun party. That's what we want to see. I really do want to see John Cena take the one-winged angel. <laughs> well, I think that definitely those years are definitely gone by at this point. But yeah, I mean, he is he is a, a fascinating person in wrestling and I feel like, you know... He is somebody we've we've researched a lot, we've watched a lot, and I think very often at the end of an episode we can be like, great, we've done them now, and maybe we don't want to watch them ever again or or not for a while. <laughs> God. <laughs> but like, I feel like with him there is there's so much potential for what's going to happen in the future with him, and also like we've barely scratched the surface of his past. Yeah. You know, I I do hope that perhaps maybe that some of the uh, streaming services will become slightly less shit that would be nice that would be nice that'd be great you know, for us fair weather fans but yeah it's been a fun episode and we've shuffled around potentially what's going to be coming up next long story short the next episode's going to be a pretty big change of pace and probably one of the most serious episodes that we've ever done on this podcast and probably one that's unlike any other episode because it's not really even going to be about the wrestling that much in many respects yeah so this is an episode which people have asked us to do since the very first episode of episode one. literally episode one people were like you have to do this episode and we were like well maybe not because we don't want to put off you know the point of this podcast really is to get people who don't watch wrestling into watching wrestling and yeah. obviously there's a lot of people who watch wrestling who listen to it and that's great and we love you but we didn't want to scare off potential fans least with, of all you least of all me <laughs> With one of the most upsetting events in wrestling history. So, and also we wanted to learn a bit more about the business, the industry, the people involved. There was so much context needed. Mm. So we just didn't feel we could do it justice until now, really. So the next episode is How To Chris Benoit. We're going to be looking at the career and the tragedy that followed of one of the most... Tragic stories in the history of professional wrestling and one that has left an indelible mark and some would say a stain on wrestling forever. I think that in the past 10 years in particular, there has been a lot of focus on kind of coming to terms with what has changed, how mm. the business has changed because of it. Yeah. Not just WWE, but wrestling as a whole. That's the side of things I think I really want to look at most mm. is I feel it was almost like it's the closest thing wrestling's had to a catastrophic event which just completely changed the direction of everything that came after so it's not going to be a typical episode i don't want this just to be a case that we're just going to talk about the tragedy and absolutely nothing nope. else but on the same token and one of the reasons we've taken so long to do this is that we've been kind of you know producing the idea of the episode in our head for a good few years now we didn't want to just be like, hey, reviewing matches and what's your star rating for this yeah. one? And then feels... bam, yeah. traumatic thing. So what we will be doing is we will be watching some of his matches. And we'll mm. be doing, you know, obviously what we've been doing a lot more recently, which is not just matches that we'll then be reviewing. It'll be a lot of matches to kind of give us a sense of him as a wrestler. And also a sense of what wrestling, or at least the WWE was like at that time. Yeah. 
in terms of the style of matches that he was having, the way that he was presented as a character, the way his journey was represented for wrestling fans, because he was someone who was almost like kind of a conduit for the outside world of wrestling for WWE in the mid-2000s, a company that didn't really embrace what was happening around the world, but used him and his story as a journeyman to kind of almost educate fans about what that road is like. We are obviously going to look at some of those matches, and if you have any examples of matches that you think might give Joe a good idea of his style and what he was doing night in, night out, we're obviously going to be looking at the dark side of the ring, the Jericho podcast. There's a lot of content out there. I'm not sure how I'm feeling about the many conspiracy theories that are out there regarding it. I do feel like we'll have to at the very least address why they came up, what the nature of those were, and kind of... Mainly, I want to look at with you, though, how the wrestling industry and wrestling fans absorbed this information, Mm. how they dealt with it, how it was kind of dealt with on screen. There were a lot of, like, overt references and tributes to him uh, on on camera, which, looking back now, Triple H and Shawn Michaels doing Chris Benoit's finishing move in matches for several years after the fact... What the fuck? ...makes me slightly uncomfortable. Hey, we talked about Will Ospreay. He popped in a couple of uh, Benoit references in his match with Kenny Omega as well. He feels like, in many wrestling fans' minds, like uh, a dirty word that we shouldn't say. And as a result of that, there are a lot of wrestling fans, for trolling reasons and otherwise, who want his name to be brought up and included. His son for instance, is kind of been thrown around like a like a volleyball in terms of an argument being made about the legacy of Chris Benoit. Right. I think there's a lot of bad faith arguments about Chris Benoit and his placement in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that his wrestling has absolute and his career has no bearing on what happened afterwards. Obviously, uh, the tragedy, we're going to be talking about murder and suicide. That is mm-hmm. obviously a huge big deal and much bigger than wrestling matches. Yeah. But we're hoping to thread the needle a bit here and we will like your help in doing so. How did it affect you as a wrestling fan? Is it something that you felt put you off wrestling? I know I had a group of like five or six guys used to watch wrestling with every week in 2007 when this happened. Half of those guys never watched wrestling ever again. Yeah. And they wouldn't have said it's because this had happened. Mm. But maybe in the wider framework of wrestling deaths and the culture of wrestling at the time, the Eddie Guerrero episode is basically going to be our starting point in many respects, I think, Joe. So, you know, prepare yourselves because a lot of people aren't going to want to watch this episode. Yeah, that's that's absolutely fine, yeah. But I'm, I'm interested very much in examining how a company like WWE has kind of like dealt with him and his legacy because it's very much been the case of like he's kind of been erased in many aspects of like programming and and um replays of certain iconic shows and stuff and i mean he's on the network we'll be able to find all of his matches so that's the thing yeah but then there's like other things which they've kind of like in documentaries and stuff Mm -hmm. more recently he is just sort of snipped out they like carefully edit around him and i want to look at how how they've done that and if that's a good thing or if that's a bad thing because i feel there's valid arguments on on all yeah. sides of that and What's i feel their yeah. responsibility here yeah because i feel like the fact that you can watch all of his matches still says something mm. but the fact you know there's people who think that that is in bad taste there are people who feel that him not being mentioned you know constantly all the time they think that is in bad taste yeah there are people who think he should be in the hall of fame oh you know it there's there's a, a wide variety of opinions and and attitudes out there and if you want to play devil's advocate or you feel strongly one way or the other we would love to hear your thoughts 
we will be doing a tweet we will be reading your your thoughts i think there'll be probably a slightly larger twitter section than normally in the episode because i don't suppose to know the answer of what is the right thing to do i've always gotten the vibe that kind of you know so many times in the Chair podcast we're reviewing stuff around that time and there's verbiage that's used about him that's just like fucking chills you to the bone really and i i feel like as a lifelong wrestling fan i've been made somewhat numb to the horrors of wrestler deaths and things like that and even it shakes me sometimes mm. so i you know i don't suppose to know the the correct answer so i'd yeah. love to hear from you folks because one thing i'll definitely say and it's definitely been proven from this episode we have got a fabulous audience of very sensitive well-meaning folks who think beyond the here and now mm. and i would love to hear our audience's thoughts with the hashtag how to chris benoit our next episode and i promise the episode after that will be much lighter yes. and we, we won't be coming at you with more hardcore really fucking hard going stuff i also want to just quickly say just to get in there this won't be a true crime episode there's That's, plenty of podcasts out yeah. there that have done exactly that it's not what we're here to yeah. talk about um we're not qualified to talk on that we don't want to talk on that we're going to be talking about more about the wrestling side of things and, and the history and the legacy and what it meant for wrestling yeah what it means for wrestling today and like you know, the main goal of this i would think as with all episodes is if you are someone who's trying to get into wrestling and there's this big dirty word which is chris benoit and you don't yeah. really know why we hope that this might be a, a guide that will guide you through the emotions and the the history and the the, the thinking behind all of that we're hopefully going to figure out some stuff for ourselves for the episode, and hopefully you will as well. I, I understand it's kind of a weighty undertaking, but I feel like we have delved into pretty tricky topics in the past. Yeah. And I think we'll, we'll try and handle it sensitively like we always do, and that is our goal, and that is our next episode. How to Chris Benoit. And as always, thank you for listening into this episode. If you want any of the recommended bonus viewing for How to Kenny Omega, you can get that over on HowToWrestling.com as well as all of the match listings for all the previous episodes, recommended similar episodes. And as always, if you want to get access to a whole load of extra content, Patreon.com forward slash HowToWrestling each and every month a minimum of two new pieces of content we review all the aew and wwe pay-per-views so if you want to see and hear our thoughts on all the kenny omega offerings and the goings-on of the elite from the inception of aew you can check those out over on the patreon page as well as pay-per-view classic the the big show show our new series where we look at all of total divas youtube wrestler review and a whole lot more available for as little as five dollars a month over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling well, Joe, it's going to uh, settle things up here with the cleaner. It's been a fun time looking at Kenny Omega, has it not? It's been so good. I've loved doing this episode. And I have held this in for nearly four hours, so I have nothing left to do but to bid you fine listeners of this podcast adieu. Until next time, good night and goodbye bang. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>